are on air for Fan for Racing Radio. Uh, this is Tuesday, and we're doing a podcast today for our listeners. And uh, joining me shortly will be our co-host, Jay Huseman. I'll go over our agenda for today. In our first half hour, we are going to start with the latest short track news, and then we'll review the Arkham Menard Series race out at Charlotte Motor Speedway. We'll include an update for the Arca East and Arca West Series as well. In the next half hour, we're going to comment on the media interview with Justin Algauer. He was the winner at Charlotte Motor Speedway this weekend for the Xfinity Series. He drives the number seven Chevrolet for Junior Motorsports. Afterward, we'll review the NASCAR Truck Series race at Charlotte Motor Speedway. In our third half hour, we are going to review both the Xfinity Series and then the Cup Series races at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And then, of course, is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with our Fan for Racing crew. And I believe Andy and Mike are going to join both Jay and I for that Hot Topic discussion. Right now, let me introduce our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Good afternoon or morning, I guess, still yet, Sharon. Uh, sounds great. I, I heard you say I think both Andy and Mike are going to be here this afternoon for the Hot Topics, so going to have a full house uh, here during the afternoon. That's great. Yes, indeed. Uh, very happy about that. Okay, let's go ahead and get started uh, with our short track and dirt news. Um, let's see here. We'll start with the uh, dirt news here. Uh, Brad Sweet dominated Friday's World of Outlaws Sprint Car Series race at Atomic Speedway, and Alex Knighton writes about that over at worldofoutlaws.com. All right, I lost the notes you sent me. Well, how come they didn't you send me some this morning? Yeah, it's on the uh, uh, Teams page. There we go. All right, you said you started there with, uh, oops, Excuse Brad me. Sweet. Mm-hmm. I'll go ahead and do the next one. Carson Macedo was perfect in the second outlaw win of the season at the same track on Saturday. Alex Knighton writes about that as well over at World of Outlaws. Well, sticking with the World of Outlaws, the late model series ventured to Sharon Speedway for the Battle of the Border. Chris Madden is the one that took a night number one. That's covered by Mike Warren on the worldoutlaws.com page. As well as Ryan Gustin as he stood tall on night number two. And it was uh, Madden that proved triumphant, though, in the finale on Saturday. And all that's covered by Mike Warren on worldoutlaws.com. Okay. Also, Devin Moran inherited the win, the Lucas Oil Show Me 100, after Ricky Thornton Jr. was penalized for a droop limiter infraction. Uh, you can read about that over at lucasdirt.com. I'd like to add a note there, Mr. Excitement. Spencer Hughes from Meridian, Mississippi, was running fourth, got credited for third, so got a podium finish in that one. I just wanted to give him a shout-out. Okay. The uh, the Tezos All-Star Circuit of Champions, they completed a quartet of races uh, this week. Start with Tyler Courtney as he took the first at Bridgeport Motorsports Park. You can check that out on allstarsprint.com, covered by Tyler Altmaier. 
And then Lance DeWeese Lance. followed that win with a Williams Grove Speedway uh, at Williams Grove Speedway. Tyler uh, writes about that again at allstarsprint.com. And then standing tall at Port Royal Speedway for the weekend opener was the McCree. And with the Dewey's returning to the front stretch after a closing in in the Bible Weikert Memorial. Again, Tyler Altmeyer covering all that on allstarsprint.com. Okay. Also, Jonathan Davenport led wire to wire in Thursday's Cowboy Classic at Lucas Oil Speedway. Again, read about that over at lucasdirt.com. And that's why they call him Superman. <laughs> Jake Swanson, though, to picked up Wednesday's USAC Sprint Car uh, Race at Circle City Raceway. And that's covered on USAC Media by Richie Murray. And Richie Murray also covers at USAC Media. Kyle Cummins uh, followed with a win of his own at the track on Thursday. So uh, pretty cool. That's all the uh, dirt news that we had. And then we also have some short track news here. How come I don't see that? That was That's what I was trying to pull up. That one was at the top of the page that you sent me. Okay. Well, that's missing. So I guess it's a short segment, so I'll cover the short track news here. Uh, give me a All second right. here to find it elsewhere. <clears throat> okay. I'm pulling it up. I should get there very quickly. We covered the dirt. Okay. Short track. Rookie Jake Trainer surprised the field to pick up a big win in Anderson Speedway's Little 500. Uh, T.J. Buffenbarger talked about that over at T.J. Slideways. And then Bobby Santos stood tall in the new-look Huser 100 at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park. Matt Weaver writes about it over at Short Track Scene. And Matt Hirschman won for the first time in over a year with the Wheel and Modified Tour at Lee USA Speedway. Jeff Brown writes about that over at Short Track Scene. Remember that messy scrape involving Jake Crum and Robert Huffman last week at Hickory Motor Speedway? Well, the result is Crum is now suspended by NASCAR and has pressed charges against Huffman. Matt Weaver writes about that over at Short Track Scene. So uh, some uh, interesting things going on in the uh, dirt and um, short track world of uh, racing. Well, on that one, I know we talked a little bit about it already uh, when when it happened. Um, was actually the talk in the pit area at the short track that I was at this weekend. So that one's gotten a lot of coverage, unfortunately not for a good reason. Yes, that is unfortunate. We'd always like to cover the good news, not the bad news. <clears throat> but um, Mike Hopkins also scores his first career Coastal 200 victory at Wiscasset. And you can read about that over at uh, Racing America. Another headline I saw from Racing America, I guess uh, Carson Cavapo made a late entry into a race and picked up a victory. Trying to load that back up where that was. Where are my headlines from Racing America? 
there we go, at Tri-County, a pro late model race at Tri-County. Oh, okay. Very cool. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. For some reason, my voice has uh, a little bit of a, uh, what do you call it, frog in it this morning. Uh, also, Robbins holds up Tulis for the Show Me the Money win, and uh, they write about that over at uh, Racing America as well. Uh, let's head over to the news over at Flow Racing, Jay. All right. <clears throat> so much racing going on this weekend. I know a lot of places were able to get theirs in. We got some good racing here in Mississippi, so it was good to see everybody else get these races in. Especially with rain in some of the East Coast area. <clears throat> okay, the one I see, Castro Flow Racing Night in America is set for Florence Speedway debut. Uh, that's a, a new article that was just put up. And uh, for the first time in series history, that will happen on Wednesday night. So uh, look for that race coming up here on Wednesday over at Flow Racing. And that is awesome to see those midweek races that Flow Race has been doing. Uh, if you can't get out to the track, please do so. But you also can follow it on flowracing.com. Okay. Uh, also, Billy Moyer earns his 849th, that's amazing, career win with the Mars at the Farmer City Raceway. That's amazing. Go ahead. That's an amazing 849 career wins. I I was just going to say, and he's known now just as Billy Moyer, Mr. Smooth. uh, He was one that was dominating and winning when I was growing up. So that was, you know, 30 years ago. And, yeah, I wouldn't have known that number hit that, that high a number, but yeah, he was dominating tracks, dirt tracks already back when I was growing up. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Okay. Also, uh, heading over to um, uh, short track scene, we mentioned quite a few <clears throat> articles over there, including that uh, late model stock car uh, suspension for Jake Crum uh, and and that article. But uh, – Here's one. Gio Ruggiero defeats William Byron in the ASA Hickory Slugfest. Uh, pretty cool to see that happening. You know he's got to be talented if he can beat William Byron at the track. <clears throat> yeah, that was, and I think there was another uh, driver, too. Uh, if that was one that Chase Elliott or Dano Suarez, one of them I know were going to be in that uh, Hickory ASA race. And you're right, that's a, that's a career victory. We talk about that as far as even in the Xfinity Series. Another driver like William Byron coming down there and you being able to beat him, uh, that's how you get your name out there for sure. Yeah, people stand up and take note if you beat a driver like uh, William Byron. Okay, let's. Get, I know we're a little bit early here. Uh, unless you see some other uh, articles that you want to make sure we point out. Uh, the only other one I think we hadn't hit on uh, throughout here was uh, Gary Ledbetter as he took his, took his first 
GXS Street Stock Series win. That's another one that's on short track scene. Okay, and another one that I want to just mention here is the SRL. Uh, the entries are really pouring in for the SRL racing at Berlin, Money in the Bank. Uh, that race is going to take place, uh, uh, races, I should say, and this is the SRL National at Berlin Raceway on June 6th and 7th. Uh, and I believe the ARCA is going to be there at the same time. So this this is uh, – uh, they opened the season with the All-Star Showdown 200 at Kern County. Then they had the Rattler 250 at South Alabama Speedway. And then the Davidson Electric 125 at Mobile International Speedway. And now they're turning to Money in the Bank 150 at Berlin Speedway on June 6th and 7th. So uh, a lot of uh, names are going to be in that uh, race, including Eric Jones, uh, we'll be racing that race, and uh, Derek Nealon is returning uh, for the second year in a row. So let me see if there's any other names. Brian Campbell uh, is a name we know. Derek Griffith, Carson Hosevar is going to be in this race, Tyler Rorick, uh, Bubba Pollard, we married, mentioned Derek Nealon and Eric Jones, Gio Ruggiero, we just mentioned him, Sean Hingarani, uh, all uh, signed up for that race so far, and there's uh, it's going to be definitely one to watch. Well, how can, how can you not want to be a part of a race that says money in the bank? <laughs> I mean, that's just that's your top draw right there. Exactly right. Okay, next we're going to head over and talk about the uh, race for the Arkham Menard Series out at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, the General Tire 150, Jesse Love, earned his fifth career victory and his third win of 2023, and that makes three straight wins for him. Uh, with his win in the General Tire 150 at Charlotte Motor Speedway. He started from the pole and led 67 laps to take the victory. Now he leads the Arkham and Art Series Championship point standings by 13 points over sixth-place finisher Frankie Munoz. And in a heck of a race, Dean Thomas finished second for the second consecutive Arkham and Art Series race. Uh, Thompson, who also finished second behind Love at Kansas Speedway three weeks ago, led a career-high 15 laps and was just .223 seconds behind Love at the finish. Okay. Also, I'm trying to find my uh, Taylor. Is it Taylor Gray? Taylor Gray. Yep, Taylor Gray is the next. He rounds out the top three finishers, replicating the top three finishers from the Dawn 150 at Kansas Speedway. So uh, pretty much a, a repeat of Kansas race. And a great part of this race, we mentioned dri cross drivers crossing over, dropping back down, if you will. Grant Enfinger, who is the 2015 Arkham Menard Series national champion, he made his first start of 2023 driving for Cody Robaugh's C7M racing team. Enfinger scored his 47th career top five finish in his 97th career series start. Uh, in fourth. 
Superstar Frankie Munoz uh, matched his career best Arkham Menard Series finish coming home six. Munoz has four top ten finishes in his five starts, and his worst finish is 11th in the season opener at Daytona International Speedway. Munoz is the only driver to complete each of the 519 possible laps of competition in these first five races of 2023. Also, Andres Perez de Lara scored his fourth top ten finish of the season. He finished seventh. Perez de Lara, was, uh, who was not yet old enough to race in the season opener at Daytona, was credited with 40th after making one slow lap around the apron in practice. He has completed every lap since. And Christian Rose took the gamble and stayed out during that final caution flag of the day, which sent the race into overtime. Rose restarted as the leader, but unfortunately was quickly overtaken on those older tires. He ended up finishing eighth, one position short of his career best finish, which he set at Kansas Speedway last September. Okay, also... Five drivers matched or set their career best Arkham Menard Series finishes in the General Tire 150 at Charlotte. Uh, of course, there's the winner, Jesse Love. Second place, Dean Thompson. Fifth place, Andy Jakowiak. And sixth place, Frankie Munoz. And 13th place, Caleb Costner. Costner was driving the car that he raced at Talladega Super Speedway, which was involved in a late race crash, leaving the entire right side absolutely destroyed now if you can catch your i'm sorry the next race uh here we'll talk about the next race for the arca menard series is going to be at berlin uh for the berlin arca 200 uh at berlin raceway saturday june 17th the race will be televised live live on fs2 starting at 8 p.m eastern time Okay, so that's not the same weekend. It sounds like it's uh, about a week or so later. No, oh, yeah, well. a week after it looks like. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Okay, so <clears throat> uh, that was pretty cool to see Jesse Love win three straight victories. Um, so the green flag for that Berlin Raceway race will fly at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Fox Sports 1 will have the coverage of all the at-track action. Uh, also, uh, we mentioned the standings. Jesse Love now at the top of those standings. Do you want to go over the top ten there, Jay? All right. And Jesse Love is leading. And I don't know why I'm going to have to find a different place to get these points. I can't see the, the crops it off. But I can tell you where they are in the points. Um, Jesse Love is your points leader. Frankie Munoz is in second. Jake Jack Wood, sorry, 
third. Fourth is Greg Van Alst. Had another rough day. Uh, was your points leader after the first two races, now down to fourth. And then Andres Perez de Lara in fifth. Sixth through tenth is Tony Constantino. Christian Rose moves up to seventh. Sean Core is in the A spot despite missing one of the races. Tony Breidinger and John Garrett um, both have all five starts rounding out your top ten. Yes, indeed. Now, I, I can tell you, those top five drivers, uh, actually I could go down, well, we'll just say the top five drivers, okay, <laughs> are separated by just 22 points. Frankie Munoz, he's uh, just two points back of Jesse Love. So that's a tight battle between those top five drivers. I was going to go one more, and then I saw Christian Rose. Actually, you can go all the way down to – seventh and uh they're separated by just 28 points so it's a tight battle for those drivers i know we watched that from the beginning of the year and it has been we've seen three different points leaders already in these five races uh jesse love though starting to try and stretch it out again it's tough to gain points on somebody that's winning three races in a row it is it is very tough to gain points when when you're uh when one person is uh, kind of dominating there. Okay, now there are some um, uh, articles up here as well, and uh, the one in particular that I want to uh, call attention to is Meet Manan. Uh, Manan Raman rose to prominence with Venturini Motorsports. Uh, he's an engineer with that organization, and that's a great article about that particular uh, engineer over at Venturini. So I'd really encourage everybody uh, to check that out. And then uh, also this leads right into uh, uh, the update for the RK East and West. Uh, you can still buy tickets and claim seats for the Arkham and Art Series West race out at Portland for the Portland 112 this weekend. It starts at 8 p.m. Eastern time at Portland International Raceway, and it will be covered via Flow Racing via live streaming. Now, ARCA Racing will also have radio coverage and their Race Central available for that race as well. So uh, if you can get tickets for that race, uh, the ARCA, ARCA, I'm sorry, the uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series is racing at Portland this weekend as well. So that's going to be well worth the money to get out there. That's what I was just thinking. That's one of those of a, a double header between the Xfinity and the ARCA West. Uh, yeah. We'll see on Thursday when we do our preview what the entry look, list looks like because we may see some of those drivers doing double duty out there. I believe that could be the case uh, without a doubt. Uh, but anyway, yeah, check out, uh, check out those articles. And then also keep in mind that the ARCA Menards uh, East uh, will not be racing until July 15th. So we've got to wait uh, some time there for the next ARCA East race. That will be at Iowa Speedway, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised, though, on Fox Sports 2. So FS2 will carry that coverage, uh, which I think is pretty cool for the ARCA East. 
Well, and I know it's not uh, the same as it was, but Iowa Speedway, uh, that's one, Sharon, thanks to you, I got to go to and cover. Uh, I know we had a couple of big weekends there with um, the Arcus Series. I think that was when they were maybe doing the double header uh, between the East and uh-huh. the West, East and West Showdown races. Um, great facility, great track if you can get out to that track there, Iowa Speedway. Okay, and keep in mind, too, you can see a lot of the latest video over at Arca Racing as well. Um, <clears throat> they've got the video uh, featuring uh, Man and Raman, and then they've also got the Reese Sweet Move of the Race, and that goes to Tony Cosentino. Uh, so uh, it's kind of an amazing move there. And uh, they've got the Jesse Loves Victory Lane interview, um, just all kinds of highlights uh, that you can catch over at uh, Arca Racing. And that Reese's Sweet Move of the Race is really cool. Uh, you'll, if you watch the races, see some of the things that happen. They put, I think, four or five up, and the fans get to vote. Uh, normally at 9 a.m. Eastern the next morning, the fans get to vote on what that Sweet Move of the Race is uh, sponsored by Reese's. And there's a lot of them. Sometimes it's tough to pick which one is. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, it, it, there are so many great moves in these races uh, that it is a lot of fun to watch. Um, <clears throat> okay. Jay, do you have a quick update? Uh, I should have m- maybe mentioned this. I did last time and didn't do it. Now I didn't mention it, and now I am going to do it. You have an update for our, our uh, fantasy group? Sure, I can pull that up real quick. Uh, for the truck series, we've been talking about swapping points lead. These have been some tight battles. Um, in the truck series after this weekend, all three series races, Tommy is at the top of the truck series with 58 points. Sharon, you're at 54. Sam at 53. Andy, 52. Uh, that's the wow. haves, if you will. The have-nots. Mike is at 42. Brian and myself at 41. James at 33, and Owen at 32. On the Xfinity side, uh, Sharon, you're leading that one. you got a two-point lead over James. You're at 61. James is at 59. Andy, 54. Mike, 52. Brian, 48. Uh, myself, 46. Sam, 43. Tommy, 41. And then Owen, 36. The Cup Series, a little more spread out, but uh, a lot more races there. James is leading that one pretty solid, 99 points. Next is Owen with 88, and then Tommy at 84. I've dropped back to 77. Mike and Sam right behind me at 76. Brian is at 72. And Andy and Sharon having their own battle here. Andy's got 63 and Sharon at 60. So, yeah, not doing overall, so good. In the- well, that's what, yeah, the truck series is my my downfall uh, as well. And you, you heard the names there. They're kind of mixed all throughout. But overall, James is at the top, a total of 191 points right now. Uh, Tommy's second, 183. Sharon, you're still third overall at 175. Sam's at 172. Mike at 170. Andy, 169. Uh, I'm at 164, Brian 161, and Owen 156. So we have gapped that a little bit. It's a little less than 40 points. But, again, we got all three series racing this next weekend, so a lot of points to be made up this weekend, too, or lost, whichever. 
that is true. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and move on to our next segment here then. Uh, Justin Algauer won the Xfinity Series race out at Charlotte Motor Speedway. It was after a very long weekend for that series. Uh, they started the race on Saturday. They had to postpone it to Monday at 11, and then at 11 o'clock or during that time frame, I think they got one stage in and had to postpone the race again until after the Cup Series race that started at 3 p.m. Eastern time. So they finally got it all in, and Justin Allgaier was the winner. And so we do have the post-race audio with the media with Justin Allgaier. I'll play about uh, 10 minutes of that, and then Jay and I will have a few comments afterward. Okay, here we go. We have been joined by a race winner of the ALSCO Uniforms 300 here at Charlotte Motor Speedway, which we had to start and stop and restart. A couple of times today, we've been joined by our winner, Justin Alvaro, driver of the number seven Chevrolet for Junior Motorsports. Um, Justin, one um, quick stat I wanted to give you before we officially, I should say, excuse me, open for questions, was this is, you've now won an NASCAR Xfinity Series race in seven straight seasons, which is a new record by a non-full-time Cup Series driver. So quickly, before we open for questions, what does it mean for you to be able to, you know, seven races in seven years in the seven car, but really win this win for Junior Motorsports, which I know is a hard fought this year. Well, first of all, um, thank you guys all for sticking out and sticking around. I know it's part of the job, but um, today is, this whole weekend has been kind of a, a hectic weekend, and I know that it's not been easy for you guys. Um, same with the team. I mean, to, to stand here tonight, to hear that stat, um, truly special you know to to have 20 wins now on on the career it's definitely not cowboy status but um you know to 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 be in this sport to be with a team like junior motorsports and to have an opportunity i mean i i remember as a kid just thinking if i could ever just get behind the wheel of a race car and do this for a living and um to do it and to to go to victory lane now seven straight years and to uh to do it with a team like we've done it with, and it, it's truly special. So I've been a little bit of a loss for words over the course of the night to, to win on Memorial Day. Obviously, nobody wanted to race on Monday, but uh, to, to be here on Monday to win on Memorial Day, just truly special. And uh, the car that we had today, I mean, Jim Pullman and this whole seven team, I'm so proud of the effort they put in. You know, we were down early. We, we got – I did a terrible job on pit road tonight. Got myself in a couple of, you know, messes, got some damage. They had to try to fix the damage up. Um, you make adjustments, obviously saving fuel at the end of the race. There's just so many things that happened throughout the course of the night that really I, I don't even know how to explain it. Um, it was quite the race. But, uh, you know, to save the fuel like we did, to, to be able to make it to the end, have enough fuel to do a burnout, I was, that, was, that was pretty special. So, you know, to have Ron Canopy Parachute Team on the car, to have uh, Defense Commissary Agency, Unilever, um, Brand Fresh and Culture, all of our brands, you know, uh, Chevrolet, the Hendrick Engine Shop, I mean, we've been – We've been burning the midnight oil and working really hard. And, and I, for all of you in the media that have talked about it, uh, I can tell you that there has de- I've not been angry, but I've definitely had a chip on my shoulder that y'all keep asking when Junior Motorsports is going to win a race. And I, I, I knew one of us needed to end that this weekend, and we finally did. So uh, at least for a couple more weeks, y'all can ask that. I'm sure we'll have something else we can talk about, but uh, at least for a couple more weeks, y'all can ask that. Okay. All right. We're going to go ahead and – Call for questions. We'll start up front with Mike Hembree. We'll go to Bob, and we'll make our way to the back as well. Mike Hembree, NBC. 
Justin, how freaky was it to have the race split like it was? And what did you do? Did you watch the 600? Did you nap? What? I didn't nap, no. Um, <clears throat> I had a unique split between the two. Uh, you know, it's one of the more odd situations I think we've ever been in, right? To have the, the rain and then to have the delays and have the cup race. Um, we actually, you know, I've, I've been pretty lucky in my career that my oldest daughter, Harper, and my wife have been to a lot of the victories, but uh, my youngest daughter, Willow, has never been to victory lane. And so we debated on what to do with her tonight. Obviously, it's late. Didn't know what was going to happen. So we actually left and went home in between the break and picked up clothes because we really didn't have clothes for her uh, to, to stay the night. We didn't know what the weather was going to be like. So we went home, got clothes, went and had some lunch, watched the watched the cup race uh, at that point on, on TV while we were at lunch, and then came here, and, and I sat in the hall over about the last 100, 150 laps and really just started with, with uh, the team on what we needed to do, what the track was doing, you know, what the conditions were like, you know, what the adjustments were. We were listening to the radio and listening to what the adjustments were on some of the cup teams. Obviously, it's different with the cup car, but I think trends are trends, right? Like, we see a lot uh, throughout the course of, of the sport. And to be honest with you, we made a plan. We took off, and, and we didn't adjust far enough. Uh, you know, that was the, the first pit stop. We just didn't adjust far enough. And I told Jim Pullman what I needed on the radio, and he just kept making adjustments. And the pit crew was able to execute, and, and we made those the right adjustments. And obviously at the end there, you know, when we started saving fuel, nobody knows what to expect. Five out of the last six years, I think, there's been a caution in the last fuel stage. So, you know, what are the chances of us going green like we did? And then uh, to be able to save enough, you know, I – I was nervous, but I, I watched the fuel gauge religiously to, to make sure that it, it didn't stutter, and obviously we um, we made it all the way to the end. So just just blessed to have a great race team behind me that you know, dots every I and crosses every T, and, and uh, you know we had all the right information and got to spend a little bit of time with the family today and then come back and go to victory lane tonight, and they got to be here with me. It, it couldn't be sweeter. All right, Bob. Sports. What's it like to hear, go hard, go hard, oh, wait, now – <laughs> save fuel, save fuel, go hard, like, it didn't, I mean, was it confusing, and was it, you know, what, how much, are you just like, okay, I've just got to do what they say, and what happens, happens? Well, obviously, um, they can see a lot more than I can see, right, and they understand a lot more that's going on than I understand, and, you know, Jim was trying to match the pace of what we needed to match with the 20, I think he pushed the pace a little bit to try to get in front of me, and it did get in front of me, and then we were able to chase him back down. You know, Jim told me to go ahead and go get him back, and then we started saving again. And I think at some point they must have told him he was short, short, like not going to make it short. And that's really when I think the race turned a, turned a corner for us. We were able to, to really manage the gap a little bit better. And, and you know, between Jim and, and Eddie, the, I would say those last 15, 20 laps, um, you know, they did a great job of managing the gap and how much we needed to slow down. And I know I'm probably going to hear about it this week because I'm pretty sure when he first started telling me to save fuel, I went faster. So I know that uh, this week I'm probably going to hear about that, that I didn't do a good enough job on that front. But uh, that's my fault, not his. Um, but, but you know, it was confusing because at that point, you know, I kind of knew what we needed to save, but I didn't, you know, if I'm in the car, it's hard to know how much you're saving. And at the end there, once I was able to really save, I – with about five or seven to go, you know, I knew we were good. And, and Jim was on the radio telling me that if the 20 came, we were going to come. And I told him, I said, look, man, I've, I've saved you enough. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to game only go for it. I felt like we've, we've, we've done so much homework that if they thought we were even close, there was no way I was going to come down pit road and give that one away. I wanted, to, I wanted to go for it. I'd much rather run out of fuel tonight knowing that we were going for it than to come down pit road and play the safe. 
and I feel like that, that we made the right decisions, we made the right call, and obviously we did because we won the race. But but uh, I, I'm glad we I'm glad we stuck to our guns and, and kept with what the strategy was that they that they went with. So um, it was confusing, but it obviously worked out in the end. All right, I think we had a question here in the middle. All right. Steve Toronto, CBS Sports. Justin, I, I just wanted to uh, ask about the line you were running while you were trying to conserve fuel to get to the finish at the end because you were running, you looked like the middle to the top lanes, and the broadcast was actually mentioning something to the effect of, you know, well, you know, Nemechek's running the bottom, so short way around, you know, saving fuel there. So can you explain to me the uh, logic or what the benefits of running the running up higher on the racetrack to save fuel would be? Yeah, I had a lot of debate in my head on what the right lane was going to be to run, right? I mean, I think shorter distance, obviously, you're burning less fuel, you're off the gas probably a little bit more to run the bottom. The biggest reason I chose to run the middle, uh, and, and I'll have to go back and study it because I, I don't know if it was the right decision or not, but I felt like I was able to carry more speed um, deselling through the middle because the radius was so much bigger, right? I, I felt like I was able to lift but, but not have to use the brakes. To run the bottom, I was having to use a lot more brake to, to keep wrapping the line. And to be honest with you, the bottom was pretty treacherous tonight. You know, I felt like, especially after the cup race and the rubber got laid down, the bottom got really, really slick. And it was hard to get a hold of. If you hit it just right, it was it was great. You had plenty of grip. But if you missed it by a couple of inches, it really was was you were just kind of sliding all over the place. There were actually a couple lap cars there that I caught. I just didn't do a good job of getting to the bottom and actually hurt myself and, and put myself in a bad position. So, you know, I felt like for me the middle was the safe route. It was the calmest route. I, I, I was just able to kind of free roll the best I could. And I knew that if the 20 was going to pass me, he was going to have to be on his A game, right? He was going to have to, to really push himself a lot harder than I, I, I thought he needed to go to save that much fuel. So I just felt like it was the safe line. The bottom line being the shorter distance was definitely probably the preferred lane if the balance was where we wanted it to be at. But I just felt like for the balance of the car and, and the speed that we were making, the, the middle of the top was definitely a better lane for me. Gotcha. Thank you, Justin. Yeah, thank you. All right, we're going to go to Zach in the back. We'll work our way back up to Jordan. Zach Sterniel with NASCAR.com. Justin, congrats on this. So first of all, um, you guys practiced on Friday at like 3.30 in the afternoon, and then you take the checkered flag at 11.30. Uh, on Monday. <laughs> on Monday, right. Um, as a driver, how difficult is it to find a rhythm on, on such a disjointed weekend like this? Um, and then also, how different was the, were the track conditions through each time you got on the racetrack? Because um, obviously Friday was totally different. It was kind of damp this morning. Uh, then you get 600 mi miles uh, in between your uh, in between the red flags, so um, what, what was the difference in track condition, and then just how difficult is it as a driver to find a rhythm on a weekend like this? Well, a couple of things. Um, number one, the fans that we have for the sport are truly amazing. I mean, to to see what our fans endured this week, and I know it's not for lack of effort. I mean, the track crew here, Charlotte Motor Speedway, the energy and effort they put into it. I mean, it was. It, there's a lot that went into it, and in trying to get this race in. I mean, heck, this morning we ran, it was raining at certain points. I thought crash coming to the end of the first stage. I mean, it was just wild. But you know what was interesting was Friday I ran the bottom a lot because I felt like for today that was going to be a big difference maker. And I was halfway through victory lane before I even realized we got the pole for this week. So, like, <laughs> it seems like forever ago that we even got the pole. I felt like it was last week that we got the pole. But, you know, I just felt like throughout the course of the weekend, you know, being here Friday, 
having a good day. I mean, beautiful weather for Friday, and then Saturday coming in and you know, getting the rain and not really sure what was going to happen, and then getting the call that we were going to call it until Monday. I mean, that's a that's a that's a bold strategy. Uh, it worked, and you know, Sunday was a complete wash. But but you know, I didn't know what to expect. So then you spend Sunday, and you know, I watched Monaco and Indy like probably everybody else because that was what was on, right? Um, but then to come in this morning to have the rain, track conditions were pretty wild. I mean, they were pretty hairy. You know, I think a lot of cars moved up because of the rain. And then the 600 miles from the Coke 600, I mean, I don't know if you all know how much rubber gets laid down in a 600-mile race, but it's a lot. Even with the conditions being as cool as it is, the bottom lane was, like, stacked with rubber. It was pretty wild. Um, so I knew, you know, just being around this sport for enough years and, and being lucky enough to be, you know, in a lot of different scenarios, I feel like this weekend went pretty seamlessly you know, to, to, to manage it because because you're behind, right? Like, you don't know what to expect uh, when you're a rookie and you're trying to learn all these things, and now you break it all up. But, um, you know, I've been, I've been training with Josh Wise and, and his group uh, with, with Chevrolet, and, and, you know, there, there's been a lot of things that I've changed in my routine to, to be good in these scenarios, and, and I felt like this weekend just worked perfectly. I, I was – I did all the right things. I felt like mentally, physically, emotionally, I was ready to go when the green flag dropped every time and and that's what it took and and um you know again proud of the team because the effort was there all day even when even when i was making mistakes early on they they still were were 100 percent you know pushing me to be better and and that's you know this is a team effort and it, it i'm going to go ahead and end it there i already went a little longer than i anticipated uh what are your thoughts jay after listening to justin well, he started with, I think there are so many storylines outside of the actual race itself. He thanked the media yeah. for being there, what they went through this weekend. And then he talked a little bit about it as far as the drivers and the crews as well. The start and stop, rain delay, postponement, start it and stop it again, go after the Cup Series. I mean, all of that combined. And I know he didn't talk about it, but for the Xfinity teams, a lot of them had to go home they got to get uh, cars ready for Portland. We talked about the Portland race coming up. They're going to go two weeks on the West Coast. So those Xfinity teams needed time at the shop. Fortunately, it was a close to a home race to get cars ready for two weeks on the West Coast. So all in all, the effort that gets put into a rain delay weekend like that uh, across the board, like I said, he started thanking the media, the fans. Um, when he got to victory lane, uh, after the Coke 600, the fans that were still in the stands was unbelievable. Um, and that's just, like I said, outside of the race. Second would be the racing when it comes down to a fuel mileage. It's not just about racing, not racing hard. You know, fans want to say, oh, they're not racing. It's a fuel mileage strategy. You heard him talk about it. The difference between the two cars trying to save fuel, where his car runs better knowing how to throttle, uh, feather, what they call feather the throttle, not use the brakes. There is still a lot going on when you're trying to save fuel. Uh, yeah, it's not hammer down, throttle down, but there's a lot to it as far as being a skilled driver in saving fuel. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, he talks about, you know, how hard that is. You know, the Cup Series, uh, they had a rain delay as well, but they raced from one day to the next. These guys started on Saturday, <laughs> and they did not finish their race until Monday night. So that's a lot to go through as a driver, a lot of starts and stops, and, uh, uh, you know, getting ready. 
uh, for that next part of the race to take place. And then he mentioned the rubber, uh, how much rubber they put down after the uh, Coke 600. Uh, that changes the racing conditions to the point that you were making. Um, it just is so much for those drivers to go through. And and it, like you say, it's not just the driver, like Justin said. It's not just the driver. It's the fans. It's the it's the track uh, personnel. It's everybody has to go through all of these starts and stops when there's so much rain. And uh, I think everybody did a great job. Uh, and it was really fun to see uh, Justin Algoer be able to get that win. A couple of drops uh, were actually broken on Monday. And uh, Justin Algar was one of those uh, that ended a kind of a, a long drought and finally got that victory. As he said, he's so glad to have a few races where they aren't asking him when's that next one going to come. <clears throat> well, and, and as you were talking about it, can you just imagine they get these breaks in between when they're going to run the team meetings, the strategy, okay, it rained. Now we got a clean racetrack. Well, now we're not going to get to run until after the Cup Series. Now it's going to be rubbered up. I mean, their team meetings, just you know, everything they plan goes out the window because it changed that many times. Exactly, exactly. So that's why I chose Justin Ardauer, uh as the driver that we listened to today because uh, I think they actually went through more than anybody this weekend in order to get that victory. But it's now time for us to get to our truck series review. Uh, ben Rhodes was the winner at age 26. He drives the number 99 Campers N RV Ford for Thor Sport Racing. Jared Prince is his crew chief. It was his seventh victory in 175 Craftsman Truck Series races, his first victory in six top ten finish this year, and his first victory in seventh top ten finish in eight races at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Corey Heim came in second, posting his first top ten finish in one race at Charlotte. That's amazing in and of itself. It's his ninth top ten finish so far this season. Dean Thompson finished third. He posted his first top ten finish in two races out at Charlotte. And Nick Sanchez finished ninth. He was the highest finishing rookie of the race. Uh, it was a late charge that gave Ben Rhodes what he needed to grab the lead from Carson Hosevar after a restart on lap 111 of 134. Ben Rhodes pulled away to win Friday night's North Carolina Education Lottery 200, and he became the ninth different winner in 11 truck series races this season. He also collected that $50,000 bonus after winning the first of three events for the Triple Truck Challenge, a bonus program that could mean a $500,000 bonus for a driver who can sweep all three races. So um, let's see. Ford Rhodes uh, provided Ford with its first Truck Series win at Charlotte. He also took home that additional $50,000 bonus in the Triple Truck Challenge. Uh, Corey Heim won Stage 1. He also led a race-high 49 of the 134 laps. Dean Thompson, who finished third, scored a career-best finish. Carson Hosevar won Stage 2, finishing fourth. Grant Enfinger closed out the top five. 
Then it was Christian Eckes, Ty Majeski, Matt DiBenedetto, Nick Sanchez, and Taylor Gray round out the top ten. The pole sitter, Tanner Gray, ended up finishing 27th. There were five lead changes among 12 drivers and five cautions for 32 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 116.898 miles per hour. Uh, the margin of victory for this race, uh, let's see if I've got it here. I thought I had it. Yeah, margin of victory was 2.398 seconds. Your thoughts about the top ten, Jay? This is one of those amazing races uh, that the stat line that can't cover it, and I don't think we can cover it truly what it was. Uh, that margin of victory, I, I knew he pulled away a little bit there at the end, but uh, that surprised me how big that gap was. Five. I mean, we're running three yeah. wide, you know, the, swapping that lead back and forth. Like I said, I know Ben Rhodes got away there at the end um, with that late run. And I think part of that was second through fifth still swapping back and forth. Corey Heim, Dean yep. Thompson, I know they were having a heck of a battle. Carson Hosevar coming on as well as Grant Enfinger. And then even with the way the strategy laid out, Nick Sanchez had come in and gotten tires. If there had been a restart or any other kind of issue up front, I think at the time it finished, Nick Sanchez had the fastest truck on the track at that point. Uh, but it was only able to work his way back up there tonight. Yeah, I was impressed. All three, three of the rookies finished ninth, tenth, and eleventh with Nick Sanchez, Taylor Gray, and Roger Carruth. Uh, those guys all had a pretty good night as the rookies go. Um, there was one driver, Keith McGee, had a fuel pump issue that took him out of the race on lap twenty. And then Armani Williams was involved in an accident that took him out of the race on lap 65. Everybody else finished laps down, but they finished the race. Um, uh, so that was the main thing. Uh, 26 cars finished all 134 laps. So uh, it was a great race. I watched it on Friday night, and uh, it was a fun race to watch without a doubt. I'll tell you one thing. With that battling up front uh, for the lead as well as the top five positions, uh, I didn't put it in the group chat uh, that we were on on Friday night, but Carson Hosevar, um, we know we talk a lot at the Cup Series of uh, Ross Chastain of being real aggressive, uh, making some Mm -hmm. enemies. Carson Hosevar has been labeled kind of having that same thing in the trucks has been uh, parked during the race for uh, his actions on the track. There were several spots where I felt he checked up, lost two or three spots, and didn't push the issue. I was really impressed with his decision-making. It might have cost him the win, uh, but it also might have saved his truck, uh, and he still come home with that fourth-place finish. But I thought there were three or four times where I, I felt like he checked out uh, rather than pushing that issue. He's still an aggressive driver, still got that top five finish, but also didn't mm. wreck anybody or himself. Yeah, and that's what we like to see. We like to see drivers that are able to do it without wrecking their competitors. Uh, and we see real racing out there on the track. I've been an advocate of that, as you know, for a long, long time. Bumping and banging's okay, but when you're wrecking each other, it, it makes it a little harder to watch. Uh, I like to see them out there battling 
uh, and fighting for those positions and uh, doing it uh, without knocking each other out. So it was fun to watch. Um, let's go ahead and cover the points report. All right. Up at the top of the points, whoop. Come on, load back up. Up at the top of the points, you're going to have Corey Heim based on uh, he's got one victory, nine playoff points built up, sitting at 425. Then you got Ty Majeski is the top leading driver without a victory, and he is 26 points back. Third place, Zane Smith. Uh, Zane, one that unfortunately got knocked out of this one uh, a little early, but has two race wins and 11 playoff points built up, so he's third. 43 points back. Grant Enfinger, 63 back, has the victory and some playoff points built up. As well as now Ben Rhodes moves into the fifth spot, got that victory in the five playoff points. Your top, I wouldn't have realized this, in sixth spot, Christian Eckes has two victories, a total of 14 playoff points though built up, and that's the most. So that may come into play when they get reseeded for the playoffs, which uh-huh. is rapidly approaching here for the truck series. Uh, Matt Crafton in seventh, Carson Hosevar in eighth, ninth is Tanner Gray, and tenth is Matt DiBenedetto, and that's where the cutoff line, he's at 281 points. Stuart Friesen, 280, one point behind. Mentioned rookie Nick Sanchez, has a lot of great runs, um, has two stage wins for two playoff points, but he's 10, nope, 11 points behind the cut line, so he needs to pick it up a little bit. Uh, Chase Purdy then is 13th, Jake Garcia, another rookie, minus a race in 14th, and Tyler Ankrum in 15th. Yeah, uh, Zane Smith is in third place. I don't know, in the uh, Cup Series race, I thought he had an outstanding race in the Cup Series on Monday. Uh, ben, uh, sorry, Zane Smith. Uh, I think he showed a lot of his talent in that Cup Series race in the Coke 600. Certainly did. I know they made a um, strategy call there to, to get out front in, in the final one of the final restarts. But uh, you're right; he, he's been very solid in his starts there in the Cup Series. Uh, another one we're, I'll talk about here in a little bit in the Xfinity Series is again Carson Hosovar uh, in the Xfinity hmm. Series. I know got a top ten. So a lot of these names, I think we're going to start seeing a shift around to different series. So we'll see what happens. But mentioned, uh, I think what. 16, do they have five races left? Well, they got 11 in. I think 16 is their playoff cut number, right, for their regular yeah, season? They're getting close to, uh, let me look it up here. I don't have it up here, but I'll check it out. Um, somewhere, somewhere in that neighborhood. Maybe It might be 18. They might have seven races left now that I think about it. Okay, let me take a look here. For the truck series. Yeah, it is is coming down to it, and that cut line is going to get real intense. Uh, Stuart Friesen, Matt DiBenedetto, Nick Sanchez, especially if we see somebody, one of these guys get a win, uh, and I say guys that one of these drivers get a win, really shake that up. Yeah, uh, that's 13... That's 16. Yeah, they have a total of 16 races before they start their playoffs. Their playoffs will start in August, August 11th, 
at Indianapolis Raceway Park. So 16 races in total in their regular season. And then the so that playoff means they race. Got five more. Yep, they got five mm-hmm. more before their playoffs. Yeah, so that's going to be fun to watch uh, because I think a lot can still happen uh, in this series uh, with the points. Uh, they are separating themselves to a certain degree, but there are a lot of battles uh, in the top ten uh, battling for position. But you've also got Stuart Friesen, uh, who has – does he have a – no. Okay. No, he yeah, doesn't have a victory yet. Just one point behind Matt DiBenedetto. So that could change. Nick Sanchez, 10 points behind Stuart Friesen. So I think there's still some jockeying out that bubble area as well. Well, and, and I look at it as just based on history, the talent, what we've seen out of them. Um, I, I went down as far as 15th, but Tyler Ankrum, a winner in the truck series. Chase Purdy coming so close. Uh, mentioned Nick Sanchez and Jake Garcia's rookies have had some great runs. So there's possibility of one of these getting that win. And like I said, that's really going to shake up that points cut line uh, with Matt DiBenedetto and Stuart Friesen. And either one of those could win as well. Exactly. Exactly. Or you could have somebody even further down the list that could come up with a win. Uh, so a lot can still change in that truck series. It's definitely a series worth watching. Uh, there's always a lot of fun there. Okay, uh, we just talked about Justin Algauer winning uh, the race at uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway, the ASCO uniforms, 300. He's 36 years old. He drives the number seven Unilever Military Dakar Deca RCPT Chevrolet. Uh, for owner Kelly Earnhardt Miller, his crew chief is James Pullman. You heard him give credit to James Pullman uh, during his interview. It was his 20th victory, 20 victories now for Jason Alga, uh, Justin Algauer in 417 Xfinity Series races. His first victory and eighth top ten finish this year and first victory and 12th top ten finish in 21 races at Charlotte. John Hunter Nemechek came in second. He posted his first top ten finish in two races at Charlotte and his tenth top ten finish this year. Cole Custer in third uh, posted his fifth top ten finish in six races at Charlotte. And Parker Retzlaff, who finished sixth, was the highest finishing rookie of this race. Uh, he stretched that fuel mileage to win at Charlotte, saving fuel throughout a 66-lap green flag run uh, in order to get to the finish. Justin Algauer collected his first Xfinity Series victory of the season and his first this year for Junior Motorsports. Uh, in the twice-delayed Ausco Uniforms 300 at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, let's see here. It was Algar led a race high of 83 laps from the pole, uh, and it was, again, the first win for Junior Motorsports this year. Uh, with the win, Justin Algar becomes the 17th driver in series history to win 20 career races. And you heard them talk about he is the, not, he is the first non-cup series driver to win seven races in seven consecutive years. So that's uh, a pretty cool stat as well. 
John Hunter Nemechek uh, finished in second, also stretching his fuel mileage. Uh, he led 57 laps. Cole Custer in third, didn't stop late in the race for fuel, uh, so he stretched uh, his mileage as well. Austin Hill went with four tires and drove up to fourth place. Uh, Ty Gibbs won, finished uh, in fifth. He won both of the first two stages. Parker Rutzlap finished sixth, and it was Jeb Burton, Carson Hosovar, Brandon Jones, and Sammy Smith rounding out the top ten. There were eight lead changes among four drivers with four cautions for 31 yellow flag laps, and the average speed of this race was 122.532 miles per hour. The uh, margin of victory here was a big one as well, 7.829 seconds margin of victory. Your thoughts about the top ten here? This one, coming down to the end there, you really didn't know what what was going to happen. Um, Justin Algar and John Hunter Nemechek trying to save fuel. They thought they could make it. Cole Custer had been saving fuel for a while. Um, probably felt the most comfortable as far as his. But with that, you mentioned Austin Hill. He had pitted and got tires and was coming back through the field, waiting to see who dropped out and, and could or couldn't make it. Got back up to fourth. Yep. So there were a lot of different ways this one could have played out. Um, my money was actually on either Cole Custer or Austin Hill uh, there at the end. Just uh, Cole Custer, like I said, started saving way before John Hunter Nemechek and Justin Algar, um, I thought was in the best, most comfortable position. But like I said, he had Austin Hill coming um, on those fresher tires, so he couldn't exactly lay back all together either. So like I said, I, I don't necessarily like to see the fuel – mileage races every week but uh when they do come into play they can be interesting yeah you're you're almost waiting for somebody to start sputtering uh and and not make it to the end and that's where we were with justin algaller john hunter Nemechek, and cole custer you're right cole had started saving much earlier so i wasn't as worried about him as i was the other two but uh, they made it work. <laughs> they made it all the way to the end in order to get that victory. So uh, it was really cool, a cool race to watch. Uh, we mentioned that Ty Gibbs won the first two stages. Um, there was uh, Parker Kligerman actually finished 144 laps, but he was multiple laps down at the end of this race. Uh, Blaine Perkins did have an engine issue that took him out of the race at lap 163. Actually, 36 cars finished the race, uh, but several of them uh, did finish laps down. There were 24 cars that finished all 100. Well, let's see. Let me go back here. Actually, um, there were only seven cars, Jay, that finished all 200 laps. Everybody else was finished a lap or more down. That's amazing. I didn't realize that. I was just looking at that. Um, I know one one of them had gotten a lap back, but yeah, Jeb Burton in seventh place because Carson Hosovar mentioned the top ten finish in eighth is showing the first car lap down. I guess with that cycle of pit stops, I wouldn't realize that that they had lost that lap. Yeah, yeah, several cars lost a lap. Uh, with that pit stop, but yeah, so only seven cars finished all 200 laps of the race. 
Uh, it was a wild one and uh, well worth the wait. But, gosh, I felt bad for those guys uh, with all the starts and stops that they did. Um, I'm sorry, that's my and dog. That's what, oh, that's funny. Mine just came in the house, too. Um, that's one of those of the storyline, like I said, of what they went through this weekend. Uh, and you see, as it mentioned, the, the cream rising to the top, but there were some uh, great finishes that I kind of get, think get overlooked. Look at Sam Hunt racing with Parker Retzlaff in the number um, in the sixth spot, started 37th, ended up sixth. Jeb Burton started in the top 10 in ninth and ended up seventh. And then I mentioned Carson Hosevar. I think this is like his third or fourth start. I really ran a great race. He had a fast car. Uh-huh. Uh, again, knew his position as far as, uh, you know, limited starts. Um, didn't cause any waves, if you will, um, but still raced really hard. Uh, I know in one spot we saw him racing next to Sammy Smith, who ended up in 10th as the uh, next uh, highest finishing rookie. But some great racing throughout the field. And then some of the heavy hitters, you know, didn't have the best of weekend. That college racing number 10, uh, that's that's always a storyline. It didn't get their top 10. I think he finished, Justin Haley finished 12th. That was a late change because Kyle Busch was scheduled to run the race. I guess opted to not want to have to do it um, yeah. both in the same day and focus on the cup side. So Justin Haley's the one that slid over there and still come home with a 12th place finish. Yeah, there, there's uh, quite a few storylines in all of this, and uh, that it certainly is one of them with Kyle Busch scheduled to run this race, uh, and a lot of people thought he would be the one to win this race, uh, but when he ran the 600 miles of the uh, Coke 600, he uh, decided uh, he didn't want to add on uh, the 300 miles of the Alsco 300. So... Um, uh, that gave uh, Justin Haley a chance, and he brought that hard car home in that 12th place spot. So, uh, really, really some interesting storylines here. Um, Natalie Decker in this race uh, finished laps down, but she she was uh, actually running this race. Um, let's see what other Sheldon Creed had a rough uh, day of it. He ended up with it, the 28th place finish, and he finished uh, three laps down. Uh, but there, there just was so much going on in this race uh, with all of the starts and the stops and the uh, over the three days uh, from Saturday to Monday in order to get this race in. Uh, it's really amazing uh, how it all played out, and I thought they put on a good show for us in spite of everything. Um, did you, uh, Sharon? Did you watch the actual broadcast of this one, uh, the Xfinity race, the during the, the rain deep. delay they had before? I started to watch it twice, <laughs> and then when it ran later at night, I fell asleep during the set, the the third part of this, so I didn't get to see the finish, uh, but I did watch it. Yeah. No, uh, during the uh, the initial rain delay on uh, on Monday morning. Um, Carson Hosevar, they they had him, they were going to do an interview with him, and he ended up doing like six or seven other interviews for him. Uh, I know uh, originally Saturday, yeah, Saturday was supposed to be the driver's only broadcast. I think next year they've got to sign Carson Hosevar up. (laughs) Yeah, Sanders was amazing on Saturday, but Carson Hosevar did a great job on impromptu. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, that's true. That is true. Uh, some other notes here for uh, the race that's coming up at Portland. Preston Pardis is going to be driving the SS Greenlight Racing uh, car this coming weekend. So that was news that just recently came out. Uh, the car number, let's see if I can get the car number here, the number 08 he'll be driving uh, this weekend. So uh, that will be interesting to see what Preston Pardis does this weekend at Portland. And that's something I look at when we, when we look at overall. Uh, obviously, the road course, uh, especially being on the West Coast, going to have some different drivers. I believe Jordan Taylor is going to be in the number ten college racing um, yeah. there, and then Upton. Trying to think, he's going to be driving Alpha Prime Racing in Portland, uh, and he'll be in the number forty-four Chevrolet. Okay, I'm sorry. Who is that? Dylan Lupton. Oh, Do you remember cool. Dylan? I hadn't heard that one. Yeah. So that that makes that Portland race uh, really interesting um, when it comes to the to the road course. And then I know they go to Sonoma um, as well. Going to have a couple different drivers there. But looking at the championship as we get ready to go into the point standings, I know last year we talked about that of Ty Gibbs and Noah Gregson moving up. You know who's going to start picking up these victories? And we've seen them kind of sprinkled throughout. Um, junior motorsports, we kind of talked about that, not having as strong a year um, coming on. Cole Custer back in the Xfinity Series. I think we're going to have a really interesting playoffs coming up here for the Xfinity Series. You. These guys have 12 races into their schedule. Let's go ahead and cover the points. All right. John Hunter Nemechek sitting atop the board by 10 points. Has two victory, has built up 14 playoff points. Austin Hill started this season real strong. He's got a total of three victories and 18 playoff points built up. Those two are the top as far as playoff points. And Justin Algar finally got the victory, but he's been pretty solid, sitting in third place uh, with nine playoff points. Cole Custer, your top driver without a win, but does have two playoff points in the bank, as well as Josh Berry in the fifth spot, uh, one, one stage win for one playoff point, but doesn't have the victory yet. And you got rookie Chandler Smith. He's got a victory. Seventh place is Sheldon Creed. Um, started out rough, had been running really strong, had another kind of hiccup, if you will, but he's still in the seventh spot. Sammy Smith, another rookie with a victory in the eighth spot. Ninth is Riley Herbst. Uh, went on a good streak of top tens, has kind of fallen off lately. Hopefully he can right that shit back around. Then you got Daniel Hemrick, Sam Mayer, and Jeb Burton, 10th, 11th, and 12th. And this is where the cut line is. Jeb Burton has the victory, so although he's on the cut line, he's uh, actually going to be more secure than just that spot. And so Brandon Jones in 13th actually has to look through his teammate up at 11th, and that is a 20-point gap. Parker Kligerman also right there, another 20 points back, though. Um, they're getting down to uh, as well of needing some super solid runs or possibly that victory, um, but that could happen. And then you got Ryan Sieg, Parker Retzlaff, Brett Moffitt, Kaz Grala, all with the 12 starts uh, down to 18th. So if one of them were to jump up there and get the victory again, put Junior Motorsports, two of them right around either in or out of the cut line, Sam Mayer in 11th and Brandon Jones in 13th. 
Okay. Well, the Xfinity Series has 26 races on their regular season schedule before they start their playoffs. And uh, I'm looking at the schedule here. This next race at Portland will mark their halfway point. After that race, they have another 13 races before their playoffs begin. So a lot can happen in the Xfinity Series. And the other thing, I know we don't see it as much in the trucks, but the Xfinity Series, sometimes you see these drivers, uh, Ty Gibbs came down and got a start, and I don't know if he's running the Sonoma Xfinity Series. I thought they said he was going to be back in the car. Um, so that makes a difference. Ryan Truex, we saw get a victory, you know, one of his starts there with uh, Joe Gibbs Racing. Mm-hmm. So that, too, can mix it up a little as far as when it comes to getting those victories uh, and locking yourself in. So points extremely important here in the Xfinity Series. Yes, indeed. So, uh, again, fans don't want to miss these races uh, because they're, they're so exciting and so much fun to watch. Okay, we're going to go ahead and move over to our Cup Series now. Uh, the Xfinity Series actually raced after the Cup Series, so uh, it's kind of interesting that uh, you know, we're kind of going out of order here of how they actually finished. Uh, but the race winner, another driver who finished, who uh, broke a winless streak was Ryan Blaney, winning the Coca-Cola 600 at the age of 29 in the number 12 Body Armor Cherry Lime Ford uh, for Team Penske. Jonathan Hassler was his crew chief. It's his eighth victory in 284 Cup Series starts. His first and eighth top 10 finish of this year, his first victory and eighth top 10 finish of this year, and his first victory and fourth top 10 finish in three, 13 races at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Now, William Byron uh, posted his third top 10 finish in seven races at Charlotte and his eighth top 10 finish of the year. Martin Truex in third posted his 14th top 10 finish in 32 races at Charlotte. And Ty Gibbs, who finished 26th, was the highest finishing rookie of this race. Um, again, this was a really exciting race to watch. Um, Ryan Blaney breaks his 59 race drought with a Coca-Cola 600 win uh, in Monday's rain-delayed Coke 600. He gave team owner Roger Penske also his first same-year sweep with the IndyCar's biggest race and NASCAR's longest race. So uh, Joseph Newgarden with Team Penske won the IndyCar, uh, the Indy 500, uh, along with Ryan Blaney winning the Coke 600. Uh, it was a dominant Team Penske number 12 that gained the long-run speed as the race progressed. Blaney led a race-high 163 of the 400 laps, and he was able to hold off the pole sitter, William Byron, for his first victory at that 1.5-mile Charlotte track. It was his eighth victory of his career. Uh, Let's see. The first this year, the second at Charlotte, first on the Oval, and the eighth of his career. Uh, Byron finished second, followed by Truex Jr., Bubba Wallace, Tyler Reddick, Kyle Busch, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Chris Busher, Austin Dillon, and I think this is Smith. Oh, this is uh, Zane Smith driving the number 38. 
So Blaney led 163 laps on the day, taking the lead from Byron just before the final caution of the day with 25 laps remaining, and he kept the lead for the rest of the race. There was a 30-minute red flag for rain on lap 157. Stage 1 was won by Byron. Stage uh, 2 was won by Chris Buescher. And, of course, Blaney won Stage 3 as well as the race. There were 31 lead changes among 13 drivers, 16 collisions for 83 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race, 120.468 miles per hour. Uh, the gap on this one was a lot closer than the other races we've been talking about, 0.663 thousandths of a second. Your thoughts about the yeah, jump in here? That came down. I got to talk about the top two just to start with uh, the two cars up front all day, night, whatever you want to call it, all race long. Um, William Byron having that pole position from the previous uh, week based on the metric because they didn't get qualifying in, getting out first um, a lot of times on the restarts. But Blaney had short run speed, and they had to work on that because they're at the end they needed a little bit more long speed run, and they had fixed that problem. But a and big storyline throughout is the cars that had problems. In a 600-mile race, uh, you make a mistake, you've got time to recover. When I tuned in to watch, Kyle, ba- Kyle Busch was driving backwards down, uh, down the track to get to pit lane. Uh, Kevin Harvick finished 11th to come back. He took himself out when he got together with, uh, I don't remember who he tangled with, um, Chris, Chris Buescher, I know, too. had had a problem. What's that? I said I was trying to remember, too. I can't remember either. Either It was either Tyler Reddick or uh, Ross Chastain. I don't remember who he slid up into, but, yeah, he had uh, slid up into somebody. Stenhouse had a couple of dust-ups. Uh, Chris Buescher, as I mentioned, penalized. Austin Dillon, another one, made a great recovery. Actually, he started 33rd, worked his way up to ninth. So the longer race, a lot more movement and endurance, uh, you know, especially the way it played out this weekend. It's already the longest race of the year with the 600-mile, but just as we mentioned, and I hadn't really put it together, but when they raced on Monday, that was the first time the cup cars had been on the track all weekend. Wow, that is amazing. Um <clears throat> 25 cars finished all 400 laps of the race, uh, and several other cars finished, uh, but laps down in total. Well, let's see. In total, I guess there were 25 cars. Or hold on, there were 20. There were 30 cars uh, that were still running at the end of the race. Um, now, Jimmy Johnson had a couple of accidents, but the accident on lap 115 took him out of the race. Noah Gregson had an engine problem taking him out on lap 117. Uh, Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott had an accident together. Uh, they both took each other out on lap 185. Uh, then there was an accident by Todd Gilliland taking him out of the race on lap 265. So, uh, also, Austin Sindrick had an accident that took him out of the race on lap uh, 369. Kyle Larson had an accident taking him out on lap 377. 
So um, those were the people that had accidents or, or mechanical problems, uh, but a lot of cars still running at the end of the 600-mile race. Well, and I know we're closing in on hot topics, so we'll talk about the Chase Elliott Denny Hamlin one. Uh, but another amazing one, surprising, if you will, Kyle Larson uh, just lost his car. Uh, you know, he said it, it it was pushing. He tried to correct it, and it snapped on him, and he couldn't hold it. I know that's where there were a couple that were involved in that, um, as I think he was, like, starting on the third row, so it was kind of up front. Fortunately, it wasn't a lot more carnage from that one. And if uh, Kyle Larson Gibbs, can handle a car that gets loose, you know it's a bad, bad loose. <laughs> Right, yeah, that's why I said that was that was extremely surprising to see it get away from Kyle Larson. Um, another uh-huh. one had a good run, Ty Gibbs, and I'm trying to remember where he had the issue. Had been running up in the top ten, doing his thing of just solid top tens like he's been doing all year. Um, ended up finishing in the 26th position, but that is not where he had been running all day. Christopher Bell, another one. Um, had a couple yeah. of problems uh, involving the wall. Apparently, the wall doesn't have a whole lot of give to it. <laughs> uh, Brad Keselowski, too. I thought he had a good run going, and then all of a sudden he got, started um, had, getting involved in some of these incidents, and it kind of tore up his car. That's what it was one of those where I think the first one was a little more on him, but that put him in the back. And after that, he's at the mercy of what happens in front of him. I think yep. he was one of them that maybe got caught up behind Kyle Larson's deal. Um, you mentioned that there were a couple. And there, too, he still did recover for uh, 19th place. But RFK, again, looking like they've really turned a corner. Chris yeah. Buescher finished eighth. And that's where Brad Keselowski was running in that area along with Chris Buescher. So, could have been a good finish. I'm sure Brad's not uh, happy with himself or the situation, but they got to take the positive. They have been very solid here as of late. And I just want to say kudos uh, to all of these uh, Cup Series drivers as well as the Xfinity Series drivers for persevering through uh, the weekend of rain, if you will, and uh, putting on a good show for all of the fans out at uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway this weekend as well. Uh, most certainly. Uh, like I said, I was actually surprised uh, in here, too, during Ryan Blaney's interview when he went into the crowd uh, as his Penske partner, uh, Joseph Newgarden, did at the Indy 500. The amount of fans mm-hmm. that were still there, not just on a Monday carryover, but late Monday night uh, for the yes. end of the Coke 600 and then the Xfinity race as well with Justin Algar. Yeah, so you're right. We've got to give kudos to the fans as well uh, for persevering through through this weekend. It was a difficult weekend all the way around. Um, let's go ahead and cover the points here, Jay. All right, that one's reloading for me. We got Ross Chastain uh, again. Doesn't have a victory, but still holding on to the points lead by one point now. Uh, Ryan Blaney was another one that, although without the win, was still very solid. So it's only one point difference, 446 to 445. Third place is William Byron. He's in a good position with three victories, has a total of 17 playoff points, which is the most anybody's built up this season. Kevin Harvick in the four spot, no victory, but sitting very solid in points. Then you got Martin Truex now has a victory. Christopher Bell as well with a victory be rather secure. 
Tyler Reddick and Denny Hamlin, both with one each. They have a seven points each as far as playoff points. And Brad Keselowski, just talked about him in the ninth spot. Uh, no victory, but sitting pretty good in points. Kyle Busch with two victories. Kyle Larson, this one surprises me how far down Kyle Larson is. Um, been probably the strongest all year, only has two victories and 12 playoff points, but has been a top contender all year. Uh, teammate at RFK, Chris Busher in 12th. Then you got Ricky Stenhouse, Joey Logano, Bubba Wallace, and Alex Bowman rounding out your top 16. And yeah, we don't have any winners hey, below. Uh, big yep. real quick here. <clears throat> you saw how big the point spread was in the Xfinity Series after 12 races. In the Cup Series after 14 races, uh, and you go down to the 16 drivers. Uh, well, let's go even before that. 14 Top 14 drivers are 89 points, separating the number one driver from the 14th place driver. That's very, very tight. These are the best drivers uh, in the in NASCAR, uh, and these points really indicate that by how close these points really are. You're right, because there is 60 points available per race, and for the Cup Series as well, we got 12 more races. Uh, I think this was they just crossed their halfway at 13. Um, this being race number 14. So you're right. Uh-huh. That's a little little more than one race points different all the way down to 14. Just amazing to me. Well, and that's that was the goal with this next gen car, and we've seen some different uh, different winners um, as well as some good runs by some teams. Um, big big storyline here. We talked about Alex Bowman coming back. He was I think five points out going into the Charlotte Coca Cola 600. He's now the cut line at 16th, 296. He is four points up on Chase Briscoe, another 11 points up on Ty Gibbs in 18th. Then you got Daniel Suarez, Corey LaJoy rounding out the top 20. Um, looking down here, where is Chase Elliott? 29th. He had been gaining on the cut line, but with the DNF this past weekend, he's at 215. So he is actually 81 points um, back. He had closed it down to 60. Uh, didn't get any stage points because that happened early in the race, as well as no finishing, uh, good finishing points. And I try not to get into the hot topic yet because I think that's a huge factor in where he is and what he did. Yeah, different winners <laughs> in 14 races. Uh, how many do you think we're going to see? Uh, 16 winners this year? 10 uh, different 14 races so far. You know, early in the season, again, I thought we were going to get kind of close. Um, there's still Ross Chastain, I think, gets a victory. Kevin Harvick is possibility. I just I haven't seen the strength out of him, but that was the same last year. Um, and then he picked up two victories. But I think you look at the drivers who already have wins. William Byron, again, second place, could have won this one. Kyle Larson, I think we'll see more victories from him. So I don't think we're going to get as close to the 16 different winners as we've seen in the past. Um, But I do think also Chase Elliott is one that I think will here as we hit the uh, road course season coming up. 
some good racetracks for him. And then you got the guys that mentioned here at the tail end, uh, Alex Bowman, Daniel Suarez got a victory last year. Austin Sindrick, uh, kind of going through that sophomore slump, if you will, um, see him come back. And we've seen a couple others, uh, that really have come close. Uh, you know, they're not necessarily there week in week out, but it only takes one week to get the one victory. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And, uh, these guys uh, are, have been just amazing, I think, this entire year. And, you know, you gotta, you got to applaud drivers like William Byron with the three victories, uh, Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson, the two Kyles with two victories apiece. Um, those are your multiple uh, winners so far in these uh, 14 races. But, man, I think we're still in for some surprises, and it's going to be interesting to watch uh, over the next, uh, what is it, 12 races that we have left in this uh, Cup Series schedule. Well, and one of them could come this next week at Worldwide Technology. The, the Cup Series only has mm-hmm. the one race there. It was won by Joey Logano, um, and I'll go ahead and announce that. That's my pick going into the weekend is I get to pick first, unfortunately. As I had Denny Hamlin <laughs> this weekend. Oh, ouch. Yeah, ouch, oh. yeah. <laughs> okay, well, we were at the top of the hour, and that means it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off segment. Uh, Andy's not here yet, but we do have Mike. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, uh, I'm going to take Christopher Bell this week because I had Chase Elliott, and, well, we saw – actually, take, I take that back. Let's take Kyle Larson. So now Jay's got his first two picks taken care of, and now we can talk about the uh, incident shortly thereafter. Yes, indeed. All right, so wait, wait. You, you jumped twice there. Kyle Larson, who, who you're going? Yeah, Kyle Larson, final answer. All right. <laughs> I believe that'll put us to uh, to Owen. And, Sharon, while you're waiting on – yeah. Oh, no, I take that back. Disregard that, Sharon. Sam goes third. Um Mike, you want you want to make your uh, first Xfinity Series pick? I already got it marked in here, but I'll let you say it if you want. Okay, where are we Boy, going I to? Up, uh, I ended up last in the Xfinity race yesterday, too? Yes, you did. Oh, yeah, because Sam, Sam Mayer crashed. Uh, I'm going to take Rodney Sandstorm. <laughs> okay, I, I have it listed as Jordan Taylor, but okay. <laughs> uh, have you ever seen them in the same room together? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, maybe maybe it is Rodney that's driving. <laughs> well, I, I, the announcement video said that uh, Chris Rice is trying to get Rodney, so uh, I, I guess that's going to be the official pick. Um, whatever, whoever the driver of the ten car ends up being, we'll go with that. How's that? I'll take that this week. <laughs> okay. So I pretty much know what our first hot topic is going to be, but, Mike, I'll let you verbalize it. (laughs) I mean, you called it uh, towards the end of stage two, so not even to the halfway point yesterday. Uh, A lot of contact between Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin that culminated in Chase Elliott getting fenced coming out of turn four and then appearing to right rear hook Denny Hamlin right into the outside wall on the front straightaway yesterday. Okay, Jay, since Andy's not here, we'll let you go ahead and get started. 
You know, and I and I saw I wasn't in the chat room, but uh, the messages came across. I saw Andy and Mike, uh, and I think Tommy actually may be chiming in on this one, um, talking about this of Chase Elliott right rearing or right hooking um, Danny Hamlin. And I've watched the replay multiple times, and I feel bad NASCAR's in this position. Uh, normally, I would be on the side of don't show favoritism. So if Chase Elliott did it, you know, he needs to be suspended. They're comparing it back to Bubba Wallace. But the more I watch it and look at it, Bubba Wallace came across the track to find uh, Kyle Larson and, and do this. Um, with this incident, Chase Elliott had bounced off the wall. Denny Hamlin was still right alongside of him. If it was intentionally, I don't feel it was as blatant. Um, I didn't see any in-car camera as far as Chase's uh, hand movement. I know Denny Hamlin has posted the telemetry of the gas, but again, you're bouncing off the wall. They're hard to handle, which is what Chase Elliott said in his interview. So I, I don't know um, if NASCAR, and I don't feel they're going to, honestly, first off, because they didn't immediately during the race address it. However, both cars ended up in the garage anyway, so maybe that didn't matter. Um, it'll be interesting to see. If they do make the call, I can understand it, and I do also see where if they don't make the call, I don't think it was as blatant as what we saw from Bubba Wallace. I don't think this is a case of it comes down to it being the most popular driver. Um, the last part I have to say with it on this first round, go around here anyway, Denny Hamlin is not one to be talking about somebody taking out another driver. Uh, he looked backwards uh, four or five races ago, looked backwards to find the driver he wanted to take out and took him out and then appealed the penalty when NASCAR fined him and penalized him, even though he had admitted it. So I don't think he's to be the spokesman on who ought to get suspended. Okay. Andy, first of all, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Sharon. Hope everybody uh, had a good weekend and, uh, it's nice to be on a, uh, a daytime version of Fan for Racing today. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, now, I do want to uh, – I, I think you probably have picked up on what it is we've got for our first hot topic here, uh, the scuffle between Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott. I'd like to get your perspective. Yeah, um, this is – and I, I've actually – I know I know the results of the race, and I did see the replay of this incident. I'm about halfway through watching the broadcast. I haven't gotten to this point yet, but I certainly know what took place. Um, yeah, it's, I think we have to, you know, I, I heard the, the tail end of what Jay said there, and I, I somewhat disagree with his take on this because I think we have to look at this from a neutral standpoint, and we have to give Chase Elliott the same treatment that Bubba Wallace got at Las Vegas last fall. So if we analyze it the same way, in my mind, it's the same exact thing, which means Chase Elliott deserves the same treatment, which is a one-race suspension. And in light of missing this race, hopefully he gets the same penalty, then I think you have to pull the playoff waiver because he's missing a race for an egregious reason. I, I don't I, – I get kind of angry at these types of things because right rear hooking somebody intentionally – is a safety risk and it puts people's, you know, health at stake and it's a severe problem. So I take a, a huge issue with this just because he's the most popular driver doesn't give him a free pass period. 
that being said, I do agree with Jay from the standpoint of Denny Hamlin isn't one to talk. So it couldn't have happened to a better guy, quite frankly. But I don't advocate for anybody to get right rear hooked into the fence because it's going to hurt or kill somebody, period. And if you look at what happened to – if you look at Chase's car, I mean, it's it's quite frankly a BS reason to say that he got bounced down the racetrack into Denny Hamlin. He, hit, he got forced up into the fence by Hamlin, so I get the frustration from that standpoint. However – if you if you look at it, the car turned left. It, it, he turned the wheel left, and I I guarantee you there is data to back that up from SMT when they dig into it, and I'm sure that will factor into the penalty. But yeah, I, I get fired up about this because I don't like seeing it happen. I didn't like it when Larson got right reared by Larson. I didn't like it when Harsavar right reared uh, uh, Derek Krause in a truck race last year. I don't like it when when uh, Chase Elliott right rear hooks Denny Hamlin. I wouldn't like it if my own driver did it, I'd be just as mad at him for doing the same thing. I think it's a problem. It needs to stop. And, and he, I, I will be severely upset if we're talking about a non-penalty on Thursday. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of of that vein, too. I think we all agree about Denny Hamlin. Yeah, um, he should not be the spokesperson. He's done his own share of this kind of crap. And uh, I'm sorry to put it that way, but He's done his own share of stuff, and so for him to be uh, calling Wolf here is kind of uh, humorous in its own right, Uh, humorous and frustrating at the same time. Um, But to the point of the right hooking, uh, right rear hooking uh, these drivers, I have to agree. That's something that should not be happening. It is a safety issue, and you don't like it when it happens to you, so why do you do it to somebody else? Uh, it goes back to the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated, uh, and that that's just full of all kinds of holes when it comes to NASCAR drivers uh, because they'll call out somebody else for doing the exact same things that they themselves do. Case in point, Denny Hamlin. Um, so... I I do think that NASCAR needs to address it, um, and how they address it is going to be the key here. If it if it means a, a penalty or a suspension, which is what they did to Bubba Wallace, and if they want to be consistent, then they have to do this. I think for Chase Elliott as well, because I agree with Andy. I think the stats are going to prove that Chase Elliott did exactly what we thought he did on the track. Is he going to admit it? No. (laughs) The drivers are not going to admit it in this day and age after Denny Hamlin admitted wrecking Ross Chastain and was promptly penalized for it when he probably could have got by with it had he not admitted it. So we're not going to get an, uh, an admission from Chase Elliott that he did that. But I think the video is pretty clear, and I think the stats are there to back it up. Um, so I, I do think that NASCAR needs to address uh, the the hooking of these cars, um, when especially in retaliation. Now, keep in mind, Denny Hamlin is uh, calling uh, Wolf here that that uh, Chase Elliott right hooked him. But keep in mind that the reason he right hooked him is because, or left hooked him, I guess, 
The reason he did that is because Denny Hamlin ran him into the wall. Uh, and yeah, he bounced off of the wall, but then he took a right, he took a turn, uh, right into Hamlin's car. So, I, I do think that it's something that NASCAR needs to address. Mike? So, I got two words that I try and lean on a lot, right? Objectivity and consistency, right? So in terms of objectivity, I wanted to make sure I got out ahead of this basically as soon as it happened. So I posted this up in the group last night, and I stand by everything I said. And this is weird because we've got the position where Jay is kind of almost defending Chase Elliott a little bit. And here I am. I'm saying Chase Elliott needs to be suspended, and he needs to not be granted a playoff waiver for missing that race. Uh, They need to end Chase Elliott's season for this one, or at least effectively end his chance of winning a championship this season. Uh, It's unacceptable. It's absolutely unacceptable. We've talked about this repeatedly. Uh, Andy gave several examples of recent right rear hooks. And it's, uh, do we need to have somebody get killed before drivers start taking this seriously? Because that is a serious potential of what can happen. That is the most dangerous type of a wreck that you can do on the racetrack. That right rear hook, nose in, straight into the wall at full speed. Somebody is going to get hurt or killed, and I really don't want that to happen here for something that's intentional. If it was unintentional, like I think it was later in the race, um, Brad Keselowski bounced off the wall and ended up right-rearing uh, the 51 car. It was unintentional because the sixth car actually bounced off the wall. And to Jay's point about not crossing the racetrack, that's just because Denny Hamlin wasn't all the way down there. That's the only reason Chase Elliott didn't go all the way down the racetrack. And his excuse is BS. He said, oh, I ripped the right, front or the right side off the car, so I was out of control. BS. If you watch the replay, and, Andy, you're probably about to that point. If you watch the replay, the nine car bounces off the fence. It goes straight for a, a second or so and then makes a hard left turn into the 11 car. So it'd be one thing if the nine bounced off the fence and kept coming to the left and ended up hitting the 11. That'd be a little bit more plausible that that car was damaged and out of control. But it was pretty obvious that the nine car was in control of the driver. And Denny Hamlin posted the SMT data that backed it up where there, there is a hard left steering input shortly after the impact with the wall. And it was a harder left turn than that nine car had turned all day, making laps around the racetrack. So it was very clear, very intentional steering input from the driver to make that left turn, hit the 11 car, and and nose him into the fence like that. Chase Elliott should at least be suspended for this week, if not longer. It's unacceptable, and it needs to end. But with regard to Denny Hamlin roughing up uh, Elliott, I think this is symptomatic of the kind of racing that we've seen in general. Not necessarily just the right rear hooks, but drivers are they're, they're continuing to make intentional contact with these cars because they know that they can, they can make that contact. They can rough up the other car. They can use up the other guy with very little consequence. And it, it, the, the victim on this, in this case, Chase Elliott was the victim of getting used up. It does not excuse right rear hooking Denny Hamlin, but this is kind of the situation that NASCAR is allowing to happen by not doing something to, to stop this aggressive driving, they're, they're putting drivers in this position where you used me up all day, my car is wrecked, so I'm going to take you out. And I think that's kind of where Chase Elliott was. I'm not saying he's right. In fact, I'm saying he's wrong for making that decision. But you can kind of understand Elliott's mentality of, dude, you used me up and you just ruined my day by putting me into the fence, so I'm about to ruin your day. We've got to get ahead of that and keep that stuff from happening before drivers get to the mentality of where, 
the only option they feel like they have is to right rear hook somebody because now we're in the ugly situation where NASCAR really needs to suspend their most popular driver and they're going to take the ratings hit for it. But if they don't make that suspension, it's just going to scream favoritism and inconsistency. And I think that's going to be a much worse look for NASCAR than suspending their most popular driver. Okay. Well, Mike's right. This is kind of an odd situation uh, that we're on the opposite sides. I will say this, Mike. I admire you. You have your opinion on what happened, even if it's against Chase Elliott. So I'm glad to see you on that side of the fence when it comes to uh, to that. But even with the data that Denny Hamlin posted, and, and this goes back to bringing out an intentional caution as well, you'd also have to overlay it with somebody that hit the wall, such as Brad Keselowski, on how his car reacted after having come off the wall and whether or not it was an intentional thing. Um, I'm just not 100%. I think about Chase Elliott's position. Even having bounced off the wall, he may have had damage, but to finish the race, they need all the points they can get to get into this championship. I, I just don't see that him taking that risk that early in the race um, where I'm not sure his car was completely destroyed and not able to continue. Um, but I don't know that. And only Chase Elliott's going to be the one to know that. We've already heard his interview. He said he had a, the car wouldn't steer. It was not an intentional thing. Um, when it comes to the suspension, though, uh, that one's a tough one as well. I understand that they, they determined Bubba Wallace's was intentional is that, like I said, he came all the way down across the track and I think actually kind of sped up to get back to Kyle Larson. But Carson Hosevar had the situation where he was parked during the race. He was not suspended. Second part to that, it is a, and this is if they do suspend him, I understand if they go with the non-playoff waiver then, but go back to Josh Williams. He was suspended for parking his car on the track at Atlanta, a behavioral issue, got a one-race suspension. They did not take away the playoff eligibility. So there again, you've got to look at consistency across the other series. Carson Osovar wasn't suspended. He was just parked during the race. Uh, Josh Williams, behavioral issue. It wasn't uh, wrecking somebody, but it was a behavioral issue. Did not get the playoff waiver taken away. So I think NASCAR is kind of in a box. And like I said, if they do suspend him, I'm not saying I'm going to be outraged and think it's wrong. I think it's a tough spot to be in to make that call. And I don't want to see NASCAR in that box where every time somebody touches somebody or not, they got to make a call whether or not it was intentional. Andy? <clears throat> I think that, you know, in this case, they really need to look at the SMT data, which – uh, as Michael already alluded to, apparently already proves that he turned left into Hamlin. So um, I think they do need to take a close look at that, and I think that will be a determining factor in their, their outcome. Jay, I, I totally understand your point. There's, there are going to be countless incidents, you know, in, for years to come that are unintentional. And, and for those reasons, they shouldn't, they shouldn't deserve a penalty. But I think egregious actions on the racetrack deserve – severe penalties and especially in the case of intentionally wrecking somebody at high speed it poses such a, a significant safety risk that you need to make make an example and maybe now's the time to make an example i don't know but i really i think this one in my mind really closely compares to what we saw with bubba wallace at vegas last year it's almost identical 
um, both high rate of speed, right rear hooks straight on into the fence, high impact, right? So I think that it's, it most closely relates to that. Now, the host of our example and the other examples I listed, same idea. Um, why those guys weren't penalized more in those situations, I don't know, because those were also intentional incidents that should have probably been uh, issued a penalty but weren't. Um, but I, I think in terms of making an example out of Chase Elliott um, or, or whoever it is, but in this case Chase Elliott, I think you know you really maybe need to start sending a message to these guys. Maybe you do need to take away that playoff eligibility. If you ruin his season from winning a championship, he's probably not going to do that again. And maybe that sends a message to the rest of the garage that maybe they should think twice about ever doing it again. You know, so I – I just have a hard time giving him a free pass in this example because, you know, if if it's intentional, which it sounds like it already has been proven that it is, to Mike's point of coming out with the S&T data already, if it's if it's intentional, it deserves a severe penalty. I I just don't think we can give this one a free pass. It just doesn't seem right to me. Okay. Uh, I'm, I think that there should be two penalties here, and I think that Denny Hamlin is just as guilty as Chase Elliott. Denny Hamlin ran him up into the wall uh, and literally ended his day uh, with the damage that happened to his car. So Chase Elliott says, well, if you're going to end my day, I'm going to end your day. That reminds me of when Denny Hamlin did that to Ross Chastain. <laughs> Uh, you know, if you're going to end my day, I'm going to end your day. That That's the wrong way to be thinking about racing in NASCAR's top-tier series. Uh, Jay and I talked about it earlier in the show where we like to watch the races where they're bumping and banging each other in a way that they're not hurting each other uh, or ending somebody's day. That kind of bumping and banging is all right, but when you're bumping somebody, when you're running somebody up into the wall uh, and ending their day that way, that's not acceptable either. <laughs> that's not talented race car driving. Um, right hooking, uh, hooking somebody in the right rear is not NASCAR top tier racing. I think they both should be penalized and. Um, somebody needs to take Denny Hamlin and really give him a shaking. Um, I, I think he's just as guilty as as uh, Chase Elliott. That's why it's so hard for NASCAR to officiate these things and to look at what intent is. Thankfully, they do have telemetry. Thankfully, they do have video. But if you're gonna if you're gonna penalize Chase Elliott for the right rear hook, then you need to also penalize Denny Hamlin for racing him up into the wall. I think that's another practice that has to stop. I think both of those things have to stop, and I think NASCAR needs to start penalizing it in order for it to stop. Mike. I do agree with you that I think NASCAR should do something to address Denny Hamlin's actions as well. Uh, nobody deserves to get right rear hooked. I want to make that abundantly clear. Chase Elliott was over the line right rear hooking Denny Hamlin. I'm not even going to say he deserved to get wrecked, but his actions 
prior to getting right rear hook. You're right, Sharon, that they, those were inexcusable as well. And it's not an isolated incident, even, especially even just for Denny Hamlin. He did the same thing to Chase Elliott that he did to Ross Chastain, intentionally washed up the track and pinched a fellow competitor into the fence. Ross didn't have the opportunity to come back and right rear Denny Hamlin. I don't know that he would have or not, um, but either way, Chase Elliott did come back and right rear Denny Hamlin. I think that is escalation way, way, way over the line. So I, I think Denny Hamlin should be penalized. I don't think he deserves to be suspended. I do believe Chase Elliott should be suspended. But I think another, another penalty, especially in light of the one that he got earlier from Phoenix, NASCAR should say, hey, you didn't get the message about intentionally pinching somebody in the defense last time. Here's another taste of it. Maybe we'll double it. So instead of, what was it, 25 points and 50 grand, we're going to do 50 points and 100 grand or a playoff point penalty, something like that. Because clearly Denny Hamlin didn't get the message the first time regarding pinching his fellow competitors into the fence there. I don't think he deserves the same penalty as Chase Elliott. But the issue here is NASCAR has somewhat lost control of the situation in terms of driver interactions on the racetrack. There's been a lot of incidents this year with intentional contact, intentional guys running each other into the fence. And this, it just kind of came to a head this weekend. Right rear hooking is about the worst that you can do. And I think that is just that's the natural escalation of the inmates running the asylum, which is what we've got right now in the Cup Series when it comes to driver behavior and how they how they tend to race each other on the racetrack. So NASCAR needs to take steps to get in and get this behavior corrected. And I think penalizing Denny Hamlin and the number 11 team is the way to do that. But you know, the, the the bigger problem is the right rear hook that has got to end. That not just in in the Cup Series, but we already talked about Carson Hosevar in the truck series. I feel like he got away with one earlier this year by only being held for two laps, and that penalty ended up meaning nothing because it started raining before they even went back green. So effectively, Carson Hosevar got away with a right rear hook earlier this year. That behavior has got to end before somebody goes to the hospital or worse because it can happen, and it's got to stop. Okay. And, Jane, you get to bring up our next top topic. <clears throat> Well, I know this one, to me, is kind of a follow-up, um, <clears throat> excuse me, to a previous one, or at least the comments, but uh, they interviewed, I guess it was Kyle Busch, um, who got asked of what John Hunter Nemechek needs to get back to a full-time cup racing, and Kyle Busch said he needs $6 million. It's not a talent game anymore, it's a money game, um, and it, I know it tied down to Josh Berry in this, but... Just overall, what we think as far as drivers getting rides, whether it's money-based or talent-based. Okay. Um, Andy, your thoughts? Uh, yes, this is Mike and mine's uh, favorite subject to talk about. <laughs> uh, pay drivers versus talented drivers. Well, I mean, let's face it, NASCAR and, and motorsports in general is a business. These teams need funding, and there are going to be instances where a team – has to have funding brought in by a driver. So I totally understand that. Um, John Hunter Nemechek is a prime example, though, of, of a driver that, you know, has the ability to be a cup driver. He's been a cup driver already. He actually did pretty well, I believe, with Front Row Motorsports a couple, three years ago and um, got taken out of that ride. Um, and then, of course, went back to the truck series and now is back in the Xfinity series. But, you know, he's, he, he's done well enough in Xfinity 
to where you have to look at him as a potential cup driver. However, you know, I, I think if you look at, you know, what it really takes to get in really any series, it seems like these days in NASCAR, you need to bring funding or at least have the ability to get funding. And it seems like gone are the days where a team simply hires somebody solely based upon talent and then has to make up the funding to, to make that driver work. We do see it on rare occasions. However, it's not the norm. The norm is the driver brings some of or all of the funding and the ride is theirs. And and so when Kyle Busch says bluntly that it will take $6 million to get John Hunter Nemechek back in the Cup Series, he's not wrong because if John Hunter had that kind of funding, he could be in a Cup car today most likely, but obviously he doesn't apparently have that kind of funding. So until the right scenario comes along, you know, or or he gets the proper funding, he's he's going to be in the situation he's in, which I don't think is a bad one. He's in a Joe Gibbs Xfinity car. We know how good they've been. He, he's winning races. He's going to be a championship contender this year. Maybe this year's performance in contending for a championship generates interest that gets him back to the Cup Series solely based upon talent down the road. Hard to say, but um, we do live in an age where it's all about business and financial decisions, and ultimately in many cases, the paid drivers win. So it's just the way that it is. Not necessarily a huge fan of it, but from the business side of it, I totally get it. Mike? Andy kind of nailed it. It's it's kind of one of the, the fallacies that um, kind of it, it circulates around NASCAR. And this is why it's, it's surprising to see Kyle Busch say it out loud. A lot of times, NASCAR in general, whether it's the media side, the official organizational side, it's more of an unspoken understanding that a lot of the drivers, especially in the lower tier Xfinity and truck series and below, are in the ride that they're in primarily because of the money that they bring to the table and not necessarily because of their skills, talent, or achievement on the racetrack. I'm not saying that all drivers who pay for their ride are untalented, but it's not their skill that got them into the car. It's the amount of money they brought to the table to get them there. Occasionally you'll see a driver buy himself into a ride and end up developing into a fairly competent driver who does well. Noah Grayson's a good example, his success at JRM. But then there's other times where you have a driver buy himself into a ride and he only maybe gets to the point of being somewhat competent, but not very good ever. Brandon Jones, Riley Herbst, Michael and Nett are good examples of those guys who they're in the ride because of the money and they are, the, the, the checks keep clearing so they can stay in the ride as long as they need to, but they're never going to be big stars in the series because quite frankly, the talent just isn't there. And it's unfortunate, but it, that's just the nature of the business. To see it on the cup level is a little bit more of a surprise because the cup level tends to be a little bit more merit-based. You have you have teams that uh, Hendrick Motorsports, Joe Gibbs Racing, et cetera, that do have the the, uh, the extent of funding and the sponsorship connections already to bring in a driver based on talent, primarily talent, and not necessarily only because of the amount of money they bring to the table. That landscape, I believe, is still changing within the Cup Series as well. We've seen that a little bit with regard to the negotiations for the new TV deal. Cup owners are saying, we aren't turn- Hydric Motorsports, we haven't turned a profit in years. Joe Gibbs Racing saying, we don't know what we're going to do when Coach Gibbs goes away. 
So it's, even the cup teams aren't immune to the financial constraints of the fact that racing is expensive. Sponsorship money is not what it used to be 10, 15, 20 years ago. The money still needs to come from somewhere. And the model right now that's been working, especially in the Xfinity series and the truck series, is it's the driver's responsibility to secure the funding and bring it to the table and not so much the team owners. It, it's tough for us as fans because we want to believe that we're watching 40-ish of the very best drivers that are available for each series, whether it's the truck series, the cup series, or the Xfinity series. But the unfortunate reality is that's not necessarily the case. We're watching maybe 10 or 15 of the very, very best drivers in the Xfinity series, and the rest of the field is comprised of the guys who had the funding in order to put a car together. It's unfortunate, but it's better than no racing at all. And aside from just finding the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, I'm not sure what the solution is on it, because based on the economic outlook, it looks like the situation might get worse before it gets better. Yeah. You know, years ago, I think there was somebody on the team um, that used to secure sponsorship for their drivers. Uh, but as you said, this is a business. Uh, and now they're, they're cutting that kind of out of the owner's responsibility and putting that ownership into the driver's hands. Um, and it's all about brand management. Uh, those drivers that can manage uh, their brand by securing sponsorship. Uh, and it's part of being a NASCAR driver these days uh, because of that shift in responsibility. So drivers can, some drivers can do it well. Some drivers don't do it quite as well. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're not talented drivers. Uh, we've seen drivers uh, that don't make it into the Cup Series for whatever reason do really well in the Xfinity Series or the NASCAR uh, Craftsman Truck Series. So I, I think the overarching of all of this is that NASCAR is a business. Each of these teams are businesses, and they have to run it according to the dollars and the cents. We might not like it. We might want, wish for those days or pine for those days when they had people within the organization that secured the sponsorship for these teams, but that's it's just not a reality anymore. So the drivers coming up through the system, uh, that's part of what they're being taught as part of their driver development is how do you secure a sponsorship. You've got to have a social media presence. You've got to go on the radio shows. You've got to, you've got to show that you're able to develop your brand and their brand as part of your career. So yeah, is it, it, it might not be the most ideal situation from a fan's perspective, but it's the way it is. And I think, you know, we just have to accept that that's the way it is. Uh, and if you don't have the talent to develop your brand, uh, you need to learn how to develop your brand and secure that sponsorship as a driver. Um, and that's what all drivers do, by the way, whether they're in IndyCar, NASCAR, IMSA, wherever they're driving, it is all about securing that sponsorship. So, um, and they have to be a part of that in order to get the sponsorship to come their direction. So I think it's just the way it is. And uh, I, I think John Hunter Nemechek is, is a nice guy, but I know 
We tried to get him on the show several times. I did do interviews with him, but they ended up being offline interviews that we played back later on the show because he was restricted as far as his time availability to be on our show. So when drivers restrict themselves in that way, they they limit their opportunities. Uh, so I, I do think that that is uh, part of the game that they have to play. Jay? Well, I, I think it's twofold. I don't think it's as one-sided as, as what it appears to be. And I can think of a couple of Cole Custer had the family sponsorship or connection, if you will, um, didn't maintain his ride. They saw the talent in Ryan Priest, wanted to give him the opportunity. And he showed that by going to the other series and doing some things of taking a sub role or uh, working within the shop. Alex Bowman is another one that comes to mind. He got there on talent. Hendricks saw what he was doing with these other teams, even without the funding, uh, brought him into Hendrick Motorsports as the sim driver. Alex accepted that. I know that he's mentioned that he had the opportunity to possibly take some other rides, but bided his time and, and was rewarded for it. Kyle Larson, I mean, that's why Hendrick Motorsports signed him, even with the baggage he had of coming off a one-year suspension, as well as no sponsorship. Hendrick put their sponsorship behind him because it was based on talent. Now, there are some drivers, and I'm not going to name names, but I do think there are some out there that are strictly in a vehicle based on the sponsorship they bring. Um, So there is some of that. I get it. As you guys have said, with the economy the way it is and the way the business model has changed, uh, drivers do need to help out with that. Um, Sharon, you mentioned do yourself uh, some favors by being on social media. Matt De De Benedetto is another one that I think of um, when it comes to that. You know, yeah, he did do a great job, but he is also very talented. So in John Hunter Nemechek's case specifically, I think he has shown what he can do with a top-tier team. Um, Unfortunately, with his cup ride with where that team was at, it was not at the top tier. And John Hunter Nemechek did a solid job um, in in that stretch. But went back to the truck series to show what kind of talent he does when he's got good equipment moved into the Xfinity series with Joe Gibbs racing, I think we'll get move up to the cup series based on his talent. And that leads to the Josh Berry possibly going to Stuart Haas racing. Um, I think that is one that they see the talent of, of that. So if you have the talent, you can win races, run up front, win races, win championships. Sponsors are going to want to be a part of your team. So it's, you want to find the talent too, that'll get you up front because at some point, no matter how, how do I say it? Whatever money they're putting in, they want a, re- a return for it. So if they're sponsoring somebody with no talent who's just out there running around and not winning or not being up front and getting that return on it, they're going to back out of that deal eventually. And your follow-up? And I, I would like to also bring up from the standpoint, you know, it, it's easy to get – frustrated sometimes as a fan, you know, when you see somebody in a car, you know, because solely of the funding they bring. But I'd like to bring up the point of that sometimes keeps teams in business and it keeps people employed. And I think that's the good takeaway from this. I would rather see uh, a team stay in business and I would rather see people stay employed 
um, than close, you know, even if it means that it's because of a pay driver that brings funding. And that all goes back to the fact that this is a business and this is how, you know, hundreds of people in the industry make an annual income and, and feed their families. And so from that standpoint, it's a good thing, especially if it means the difference between closing and not closing. So um, I know sometimes if if you ever look at the group chats that me and Mike have, we do get frustrated at it sometimes, but at the end of the day, it's not always a bad thing, um, and especially if it means that people have jobs. Mike, your follow-up? That's a great way to put it, Andy. I, as, as unfortunate as it is that the industry has to be so reliant on these pay drivers, like you said, it's a big part of why we still have an industry at all. If, it, if we were trying to use the 1990s, 2000s model in order to, to put this sport on where the drivers, they, all they had to do was show up to the race car and it, and it was on the teams in order to find spot, we wouldn't have an industry anymore. It's just the nature of the way things have changed where the previous model was unsustainable and it has changed into the model that we have. I think the model that we used to have when it worked was better where we had more sponsorship availability. We didn't have to worry about pay drivers. And I think there was a, a wider talent pool available as well where you had more good drivers to pick from and you didn't have to make, you, you, you could make that decision based exclusively on merit. And it was the business decision was, does this give my race car the best opportunity to win? Not so much does, like what it is now is, does this keep my company in business? And that's, that's unfortunate that we're that far down on the, 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 that you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs where we're at that kind of base tier survival level. But unfortunately, that's where a lot of these teams are operating these days. We've got a few top tier kind of teams, say for the couple of 100 Motorsports, Joe Gibbs Racing, Stuart Haas, and Penske are probably able to function uh, without outside sponsorship, or at least they, they can cover not having outside sponsorship. But you look at Front Row Motorsports, where John Hunter Nemechek was, they can't afford to just float a driver who doesn't have their own sponsorship. That's why they, they kicked Todd, Todd Gilliland out of the car for five races, six races this year, because Zane Smith was bringing money to the table. And no matter how good Todd Gilliland may be in the race car, he didn't have the money in order to pay for a full-time season at Front Row Motorsports. It's the same reason that they ended up letting John Hunter Nemechek go. It wasn't because Nemechek was necessarily lousy. It's because he didn't bring the money to the table that that team needed in order to keep functioning. Hopefully the new negotiated TV deal and the associated kind of division of the funding that goes along with it can help bridge this gap a little bit more. Teams will be less reliant on outside sponsorship, and NASCAR can help support the teams via that revenue sharing. So they have to be less reliant on drivers and sponsors bringing funding to the table, and they can focus more on the competition aspect of it. I think that'll make a better product for us as fans watching it, as well as drivers who are able to focus on being race car drivers first and not just salesmen first. Because right now, it seems like you're, you're, you're buying time in a, good, in a good car in order to expose yourself to more sponsors versus you used to, to do well in a good car to expose yourself to new team owners and, and get that recognition from being a good driver. But all you're doing now is marketing yourself to sponsorship. So the cart's before the horse a little bit right now, and hopefully the new deal can fix that. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I think all of you bring up some excellent points on this subject. Um, I, I, I know it's a fact of life for, for this point in time, 
and and what the drivers have to deal with if they want to climb that ladder in NASCAR. But Jay brings up a good point, too. If you have the talent, you're going to attract sponsors. Um, so that's not to say that we, we're bringing all brand marketers into NASCAR uh, without talent. Uh, I think that is the exception rather than the rule. We have a lot of very, very talented drivers uh, that are uh, able to secure really good sponsorship uh, because of their own actions. So you will see how it progresses. Uh, NASCAR is ever-evolving, uh, and sometimes we evolve back to the way it was. Sometimes we evolve to something entirely different. But um, uh, in this case, uh, Mike brings up the TV deal. Uh, that might open the door a little bit for some of these drivers uh, that are struggling with funding. And I do know for um, – for instance, as well, that NASCAR, if a driver is struggling with sponsorship, I know NASCAR tries to get involved in helping to secure or distribute sponsorship uh, to some of those drivers as well. But they have to show uh, that they have some talent as well. So, um, and that's what drivers like Josh Berry and some of these other drivers are doing. They, they, they have the talent. They're winning races. Um, and they're developing well. Uh, through the development programs that they're a part of. So I, I, we'll, we'll just have to see how it evolves from here. But right now, it, it's the world that we live in. Jay? Yeah, I think you hit on the key word, the, the evolve. I mean, look at the NASCAR teams. They used to be able to go to one, one major sponsor and say, hey, give, you know, we need $20 million or whatever it is. I think it might be a little higher now. Um, and they get it and secure it. And if they invest in a driver, you got to invest in them long-term. Uh, we've seen that with several of rookie drivers. Um, and I go back to Casey, Casey Atwood. They just don't have the time to develop at the cup series level like they used to. Uh, and I think that's part of it um, is that correlation between one sponsor investing in the team, investing in the driver, um, and making that long-term commitment. Uh, so it's a tough spot to be in, but I think we're going to be all right. And, and I say, and I use Josh Berry with that, but that also then comes to the manufacturers of if they're invested in certain drivers, they got to let certain other ones go. Uh, we've seen that come into play in several cases. And I think that's maybe where uh, Matt DiBenedetto kind of got uh, shuffled out because they had an up-and-coming driver in Harrison Burton that was committed to. Um, and part of it, there again, part of it did come with the sponsor that was committed to Harrison Burton in Dex Imaging. So uh, I think it's a, it's a balance in finding it. And depending on how they work out with the TV deal, that might help change some of that back the other way. As you said, as, if there is more money in the bucket from the team, then they look more towards the talent side. If they're struggling and I mean there are teams that clear that's the only way they're surviving is is a driver coming in and bringing sponsorship um that's the only way they're surviving period uh that is a necessity for them and get uh, get that but also then of with that I think like I said it shows that driver can show the talent they have it may not be winning races or top five but if a team like that can get a top 10 top 15 Specifically, I know a lot of times that gets highlighted at your super speedways. Um, shows what talent they have, and either that helps attract more sponsors, 
to that team and they can build that team, or it does get the attention of other owners that maybe have a sponsorship they can pair up with them. All right. Andy, we've got about a little less than 15 minutes here. You got a hot topic for us to cover? Yeah, it looks like this one, I don't believe you, you've covered this on previous shows, but it, um, the NASCAR Xfinity Series is potentially moving to an all-streaming service in the future. Uh didn't look like it was covered, Sharon. Um, is that uh, is that one we've got time for? Yeah, sure. Let's go ahead and cover it. Who's that? Is this, uh, this start with me? You're still there? Well, Sharon has to still be on because we haven't lost, well, I don't know, a daytime podcast, I don't know. Sharon, are you still there? Mike, go ahead, Mike, go ahead and start us off with this one. Sure, yeah. Uh, with regard to the streaming service, I did see this. Uh, they didn't say specifically who the partner was going to be. Now, there is an interesting take on, obviously, Xfinity right now, they are an Internet service provider. I don't know that they have their own streaming service, but it does kind of fit in nicely with the current Xfinity series. However, I believe their naming rights contract expires at the end of the 2024 season, or maybe even in the end of this season. So the Xfinity series may be changing names. The rumor that I've heard is this might become the Amazon Prime series or something along those lines where you have the series title sponsor will be Amazon Prime, and then obviously the Xfinity series, what is currently the Xfinity series, will be carried on the Amazon Prime streaming service. I think that's probably the best fit for the series, or NASCAR in general for that matter. I've said it many times on the show. I believe Amazon Prime is probably the best fit for NASCAR with the streaming service. It's got the widest reach. It's got the built-in sponsorship activation potential, and it's also not an additional subscription that other people need to purchase into in order to see the content. I think those are the, the three key points there. So moving to second-tier NASCAR series, whether it remains the Xfinity series, changes names to something else, I think Amazon Prime is probably the best outlet for them. So we'll have to see what this deal looks like in the future. All right. Well, I got a message from Sharon. She said she's still logged on and not muted, but uh, for some reason we can't hear her. Um, while she's checking things out and trying to get reconnected. Um, Andy, why don't you go ahead? Actually, you brought it up. I'll I'll go first here since you brought it up. Um, This is one, uh, unfortunately, I think Sharon said it, it's the world we live in. I am not a person that enjoys the the streaming platforms or utilizes them a whole lot. I don't know where I'm going to fall when it comes to that as far as if the Xfinity series were to go full-time to a streaming service. I, I don't think they should go full-time to it. I understand certain races or maybe a portion of them, but I think they're making a mistake if they go to a full-time streaming service um, because there is a, a chunk of the fan base that is not on that side of the fence. Um, and I understand, and I'm being one of them. Uh, again, if there, there aren't any on the streaming service, I'm good with that. If they were to go to a partial schedule, uh, like I said, I would have to evaluate uh, my investment then into the streaming service on whether or not to, to pick them up. But to go full-time to that, I just think you're hurting a, a chunk of the fan base that, uh, and I, I base this off of Collins I've heard. I know this topic has come up on SiriusXM, I think all the different shows 
um, there is a, a chunk of the fan base that then would quit watching. And I hate to see the it go back in that case of back to the day when nobody knew who these Xfinity Series drivers were, um, especially in this day and age. Now we got the Arkham Menards East and West Series. People are invested in those drivers from early on. If the, the coverage isn't there as it gets when it's on television, I just don't think you're going to have that anymore. And so when these guys try to make it into the Cup Series or even the Xfinity Series, if they're coming from the Arkham Menards, that the fans aren't invested in just because they don't know who they are. So uh, I, I don't want to see them necessarily go to a full coverage on a streaming platform. But like I said, I understand the world we're in, and that may be the way it has to go, unfortunately. Uh, we'll see how it works out and who comes in as the primary uh, front runner for that deal. I know uh, Mike mentioned Amazon Prime. I'd say that is one I've heard uh, talked about. We'll see who it is and what kind of total program or platform they put together with it. Okay, and I'm here. She, she, can you hear me? There you go. Sharon's back. Oh, you can hear me now? Yep. Okay. Okay, that's good. Um, yeah, uh, I like the idea of the streaming service, but I kind of hear what Jay is saying as well. I do think that there is an element of our fan base uh, that we would lose if we do go to a streaming service. Uh, I dropped my cable a long time ago, and I stream everything now. But uh, not everybody's in that position so, but I think NASCAR is seeing that trend. I think that is a trend that is happening. People are moving away from cable services, and they are moving towards streaming services. Uh, and that's why they're looking at this. Amazon does make the most sense, to Mike's point, uh, because I think they have the broadest base of uh, people that, you know, even if they're on cable, they have an Amazon Prime account, and they can get the Amazon streaming service. Um, but I think I think that this is something else that is evolving, uh, and I think that we are evolving to more streaming services uh, than we are to uh, the traditional way that we watch NASCAR. So for them to consider a streaming service, I think, and I don't know this for a fact, but I think they're looking at it in conjunction with as opposed to solely streaming at this point. Uh, and if they're not looking at it, that's what would be my recommendation, is that they do it um, as a in combination with the uh, traditional way until we completely evolve to all streaming uh, because I do think that we're moving in that direction. So uh, I don't have a whole lot more to say on it, but I do think it's a good idea and uh, because I think that's where our world is evolving to. And uh, I just think they need to do a, a combination uh, test on it, if you will, before they go just streaming with their service. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with, with what you both said or what everyone said here. You know, it, it seems like it's not necessarily a bad thing to go to a streaming service. It would just be a bit of an abrupt change for it to go fully, you know, from, from a cable-based TV service all the way to streaming at once. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily think it's a good thing for reasons that everyone's already said, 
most notably, I think that you'd alienate a, a pretty big chunk of the fan base. Um, people, as it is, complain about the fact that races aren't on the local channels, like your NBC and Fox half the time. So um, if that's a problem for some people, imagine what it'll be like when it goes to a streaming service. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I don't know if that's necessarily a good idea. That being said, um, I would welcome in a new broadcast partner. I, I We've talked about this before, but I do think that it's time to potentially freshen up the uh, on-air personalities and the uh, the broadcast partners, maybe to bring a, a fresh perspective to uh, broadcasting and showcasing these races. I, I think that might be in need of a bit of an overhaul. So I would welcome in a new partner. And if it, if it does eventually go all the way streaming, um, I'll buy that service. You know, if that's what it takes to watch these races, you know, instead of, you know, like so many people like to do and complain about it, I think we would simply have to embrace it if we want to watch these events and, and purchase the service, you know, if that's what it takes. So um, whatever happens, you know, hopefully it's a, it's a good thing. But I, I think ultimately, you know, new broadcast partner coming in would not be a bad thing at all. Okay, Mike, your follow-up? I think NASCAR, they, they definitely need to position themselves for the future and move on. At the same time, they've got to be extremely careful they don't make the same mistake that they made in the 90s and 2000s. And by that, I mean alienating the core fan base that they currently have, the people who currently consume their product. They need to not chase those people away while pursuing people who aren't interested in their product to begin with and probably never will be. So hopefully NASCAR learned their lessons from the 2000s and they're, they're doing a little bit more market research because obviously it wasn't a broadcasting issue in the 90s and 2000s. It was about tracks and locations and stuff. But you, you saw this huge drop in interest in NASCAR. After the, after the initial um, excitement and newness of it, there was a huge drop where these casual fans that NASCAR was chasing, they followed the sport for a little while, and they, but then they went away. And the people that NASCAR chased away by leaving markets like North Wilkesboro and Rockingham and kind of their traditional markets and, and fan base, those people never came back either. So NASCAR's got to be really careful of, yes, streaming services are the future, but at the same time, they need to do their market research and figure out just how many people – are currently consuming their product via cable, how many of them they believe can, they will be able to consume the product via a streaming service, and make sure that they're not stepping on the toes of the, the fans that they currently have while taking a gamble trying to chase fans that may or may not be excited about getting access to their product either way. That's my only concern here. We talk a lot about changing too much too quickly. That's going 100% streaming, even for just the Xfinity series, that might be one of those deals where it's too much change too quickly to the point where you're going to end up stepping on more toes than you help out here. Okay, Jay. Jay? Yeah, okay. No, that was that was me. I had to get unmuted. Uh, actually, I just didn't want everybody to hear me agree with Mike. Um, no, he hit the nail on the head there, uh, and he compared it to the, to the tracks uh, of that, of – I, with the streaming service, I get it. If that's how you're reaching a new fan base or a different fan base, absolutely you try it out, but don't put all your eggs in that one basket, especially at the cost of your core dedicated fans. Um, and, and I think it was Andy that mentioned it. You see, you see it's still an issue, 
are still being utilized as far as cable because that's a lot of times the complaints the fans have is if it's on FS1 or CNBC, it's a channel their their company does their cable company doesn't get. They're still looking for it on cable. Um, so I agree with Mike. They got to be real tread real carefully down this road. I am not opposed to them utilizing the streaming service because that does bring in new fan, uh, a new market, if you will. But don't uh, shoot yourself in the foot with it by, as he said, alienating your core base and losing that core base. Yeah, I I don't have a whole lot to add. I think we've pretty much hit the nail on the head. But, Andy, I'm going to give you the last word here. Yeah, nothing to really follow up on. I, I don't think it, it'll just be interesting to see, you know, if this comes to fruition and, and who any new broadcast partners might be. I think the new TV deal is, is certainly something to be excited about and to look forward to, and, and we'll look to see if any significant changes come out or not. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and do our roundtable, and Mike, we'll start with you on that. Sure, it's going to be Mike underscore Rizal on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. I had an article go live last week on Fan for Racing detailing my experience at North Wilkesboro Speedway. I encourage you all to go check it out and take a look at it. And for no other reason, because you're not going to have me to kick around for the next couple of weeks. I'm skipping town on vacation later this week, so I'm probably going to miss probably the next solid two weeks' worth of shows. I'll keep you posted, but you might not have my smiling face on the radio for a little bit. What about Thursday? <laughs> Yeah, probably not Thursday. We're leaving super early Friday morning, so uh, Thursday is going to be packing the car and, and going to bed early to hit the road super early on Friday. Okay. Uh, Jay? Well, Mike, uh, as always, when you're not here, we try our best to represent you. Uh, I know you still get your uh, your shots in over the uh, group messenger opinions up, and we still do share them, so uh, you'll still be represented while you're gone. Um, you can follow me, though, on social media. As we talked about, i got to have the social media presence. So Michael Hoosman on Facebook, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. Andy? And uh, for me, CB14Fan on Twitter, and uh, nice to be on today's show. And, uh, Mike, it's a shame you won't be around this weekend. i uh actually really looking forward to what's to come. Um, at uh, Portland and Gateway this coming weekend. So um, we'll look to look forward to having you back on the show and on the, the race day chats in the next uh, couple of weeks or so. And, uh, Sharon, are you actually going to Gateway this weekend or no? Uh, I would love to go to Gateway, but uh, unfortunately I'm not going uh, to be going this weekend. I've got, I've got so many things going on that it's just not possible this year. Yeah, that's a bummer, but uh, yeah, it should be a good one. I'm I'm definitely thinking that it uh, should be a fun weekend upcoming. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, I hope you have a good vacation and enjoy yourself for safe travels to you. And uh, Andy, it is good to have you back here and uh, uh, as part of our Hot Topic uh, conversation. And Jay, thank you so much for filling in today for uh, the podcast that we put together for our review show. I, I really do appreciate it. We are going to be doing it again this Thursday, another podcast uh, for our listeners for the preview show. 
and uh, we will do it uh, probably about the same time frame. So I'm hoping uh, that works out for, for you, Andy. Uh, and that you'll be able to join us. And I know Tommy won't be able to join us because that's during work time for him. Uh, but, uh, uh, and I know it could fall into your work time as well, Andy. But uh, anyway, I just uh, want to also say thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We do appreciate it. Uh, we have a lot of fun putting these shows together, and uh, we hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoy doing it. Uh, we will be back here on Thursday again, like I say, for a podcast, and then I think we resume our regular broadcasting schedule uh, with next week, so stay tuned for more on that. So um, I don't have anything more that we need to say, so if you guys want to say goodbye, we'll call it a wrap here. Have a good one. Enjoy the rest of the week. Enjoy your race uh, week. Take care, guys. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.